What is Two for One Studios all about? Daniel? Well, I'll tell you. Two for One Collectors. Join Matt Mitchell every week as he shows off the toys and action figures that that you can't can't afford. Gundam, Power Rangers, Transformers. Oh my. Matt spends too much money. And you reap the benefits. Two for One Backlash. Join Donovan each week as he spotlights a different old school movie that made him. The Phantom, The Shadow, The Guyver. I have not seen those. That's okay. Donovan's here to give you the lowdown on the old-ish movies you've probably never heard of. Podcast 241. Whether we're breaking down the latest MCU or Star Wars news, or dissecting your favorite Hollywood blockbuster, join us each week to get down with some nerdy conversation. And that's not all. We've got new and exciting content headed straight for your visual cortexes. So stay tuned to 241. got a problem there are aspects of my personality that i can't control see a shrink it's a little bit more complicated than that bruce trust me when i tell you i've heard them all not this one we've never seen anything even close to your level of exposure that you survived an event like that. It's beyond my comprehension. I don't want to control it. I want to get rid of it. As far as I'm concerned, that man's whole body is property of the U.S. Army. They want it as a weapon. If we let it go, we will never get it back. There's only one thing that can fight that, it's in me. Maybe if I can control it, I can use it.
Nothing. Nothing. How's it going out there, podcast world? How we doing out there? Welcome to our... Why am I so echoey? I was going to say, was that done on purpose? No. No, I don't know why that was so echoey. Oh, why am I Yes, we're starting off with jokes. Jokes. Let's see. How about now? Now. Nope, 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 nope. Oh, man. Okay, who's not giving an echo? Testing, testing, one, two, three. I don't think I'm Testing, echoing. testing. Testing, one, two, three. Me and Arch already sorted this out earlier earlier today, so we know we're, we're good. Hmm, weird. That's so weird. I don't know why I was echoing so bad there. Hey, but anyways. You're good. Anyway, so welcome to the live show there out there in podcast world. Once again, technical difficulties, always having fun there. You know how it is. Anyways, I'd like to welcome everyone to our podcast tonight. Of course, me, your mighty host today, Cybernetic Shark, along with Jeff Sloboda, the co-host of the MCU's Bleeding Edge. Uh, tonight, we actually have a new person on our panel tonight for the first time on here, Mr. Mark. Uh, sorry if I say your last name wrong. Radulic. Radulic. Pleasure Radulich. to be here. Radulic. Thank you. Uh, and uh, if you don't know who he is, he is uh, an internet personality that's been around since 2004. He started out doing uh, some progressive blogs about conservatism, and then he recently switched to uh, uh, doing some PC Live, it looks like here. And then um, some, uh, he got together to create the Radulich Broadcasting Network with uh, uh, 411 Media alum Sean Comer. So it looks like him and Miss Alexis here have done quite a few podcasts together. We all know her from there too as well. Uh, you also might recognize her, you know, from the Comic Con area and stuff like that, all that kind of good stuff. She has her own jewelry company that she works with and makes products for people. So if you get a chance, check that out definitely too. And then of course we have Mr. Arch here returning from the podcast of champions, uh, who is awesome. Glad to be back. Nice to have you, sir. Absolutely. Hold on one. That is so weird. Anyways, so of course we have him. Uh, yeah, I don't know either. Anyways, yeah, so, you know, nice to have Arch back, of course, from Podcast of Champions. He's an amazing guy. He's really cool. Uh, and we always enjoy having them on the podcast with us, especially from the Podcast Champions. They are amazing uh, YouTube, YouTube channel if you if you get a chance to check them out on YouTube. Also, you can go to sakar.freeform.net and talk to them about anything wonderful and awesome about the DCU, MCU, any type of movie stuff, which is always fun. Absolutely. Everybody's welcome. We'd love to have you. Most definitely. Well, that's so weird. Anyway, so we also have returning with us Mr. Lord Deathman, who is also from the podcast of Champions, uh, who is an awesome, great guy that we've had on in the past. He's the Lord of Death, I like to call him. Uh, go ahead and say hello, Lord Deathman. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the disembodied voice of death, and it is great to be here on the, on the MCU's Bleeding Edge. Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you. So wonderful to have all these great people here with us tonight, and uh, let's get right into this, people. So of course we are talking about tonight 
and reviewing the awesome and amazing The Incredible Hulk film from 2008, which is the next film we'll be reviewing on in the MCU's Infinity Saga. So, to start us off, the beginning intro of the film, it basically shows, you know, Bruce Banner going through the process of, you know, basically becoming the Hulk, you know, basically doing all the scientist work on himself and stuff like that. We get to see Betty, we get to see Thunderbolt, we get to see all these cool images, you know, all having to deal with, uh, you know, the basically what brings the Hulk to life, basically. So, in your guys' words, to me, the thing that makes me reminisce, it kind of makes me think about the original TV series version, like that montage at the beginning. It makes me think of the original Bix, Bix, Bill Bixby show, and I always enjoyed that show. I thought it was a great show. Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk was great, and I'm just getting curious. What did you guys think? Do you guys feel that it has that same kind of feeling as that TV show? Let's go ahead and start off with you, Alexis. Definitely. I didn't grow up watching uh, the TV show. I was a little young for that. Although I do remember seeing, I think it was like a made-for-TV movie that they did on the origins. I remember seeing that as a kid. And I remember my parents turning uh, the channel when uh, Banner got hit with the Gamma Rays because they were worried I was going to have nightmares. Mm. So... But I thought this was a really smart idea. A lot of times we see films get too bogged down with the origin story and it takes up too much time, especially if they're characters that we have a general gist of what's going on. I think if most people, even if they don't know the exact storyline of Bruce Banner and the Hulk, they're able, they know the general idea. It's a Jekyll and Hyde story arc and he's on the run from the government. We know that we don't need you know, half the movie dedicated to that. So I thought this was a very clever idea. Hmm. Totally. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. How about you, Arch? What do you feel about it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I've got a couple ideas here. I just want to throw out uh, one. Um, I'll just stay with the Bill Bixby thing for a little bit. Uh, they did this in a couple of areas. One with the intro uh, Two, when uh, Banner is actually turning into the Hulk for the first time. You see a close up shot. He's mostly framed in darkness in the factory he's working in. You see his eyes go go green, and he looks very reminiscent of Bill Bixby turning into the Hulk. If you watch any of the the outros of, of that show, um, also later there's a there's a really fun uh, cameo from uh, Lou Ferrigno, of course, uh, where uh, where Edward Norton uh, walks up to him. He's delivering him pizza, and he actually just says, "You're the man," which is just awesome. I thought that was really 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 cool cameo there. But I, I've got another sort of unique take on this one a little bit. Um, um, just a small fact on, on this film is the original treatment of it was act, actually stemmed from a sequel draft that was written from the Ang Lee Hulk in, in uh, 2003. Um, and to me, this film, I, I still hold, and this is completely fan canon, but I still hold, Lord Deathman's probably laughing over there, but I still hold the, <laughs> the 2003 oh, film. As canon, I still do. Um, I, know oh. I know it's not. I'm not. Sorry, sorry Arch. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not forcing that on anybody. I don't want to get into a big thing about it. But I do think um, that this one leading in from that and cutting that intro short uh, is uh, in a lot of ways purposeful. Like, like, I feel like that origin had just been established. Even if you don't hold it as canon at all, which is fine. It's obviously not canon. But they've just done a film like several years, five years before that, where they'd already established a full-length origin. So they didn't really need to go into that. Um, and I, I think that uh, 
is in a lot of ways why they kind of did this short over the credits intro for it. So uh, I'll be happy to off the air tell you guys why that film is still canon, but uh, we'll we'll proceed on for now. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different stories I've heard about this film and like how it basically runs down into you know any situation or whatever um which yeah we could talk about later but yeah i, I totally get where you're coming from arch uh just want to give a shout out to a new person in our comments here who goes by skywalker who told us his name is isaac want to give you a huge shout out isaac thank you for stopping by and watching great to have you here uh how about you mark what did you think about that intro i really like the intro um definitely allusions to the uh, late 70s, early 80s, Incredible Hulk um, show with Bill, uh, Bill Bixby. I did watch it because I am a million years old. And um, I grew what did, up. Uh, what did you used to say, Mark? You are the old man of the mountains and you don't want them painted. That would be correct. Um, <laughs> yeah, I watched it as a kid growing up. Um, it's actually cert- currently on my Hulu watch list. Uh, I think there were two things. And I'm with Arch. Whether or not it's canon, I, I A, don't care, B, remains to be seen. But um, I do think that in terms of making the movie uh, and, you know, and the idea of sort of unveiling the story of the Infinity Saga, I know Marvel was looking, I got to remember, the Ang Lee Hulk was 2003. This is a scant five years later. And it, you just look to the Spider-Man movies and you see people don't want to see the origin story told 900 times. I, I think we would all just walk into the woods to live deliberately if we see uh, Bruce Wayne's parents get shot in the alley one more time. So, you know, it's <laughs> good. I got one person to laugh. Um, so <laughs> The pearls, always the pearls. Why the pearls? My point being, I think, you know, Kevin Feige, I think, knew had his finger on the pulse of what the fans wanted. And, you know, fans wanted Bill Bixby, Hulk, or at least allusions to it, didn't want a retelling of the origin story and wanted to see the Hulk smash some shit up. They got all three with this movie, you know, love it or hate it. True. Very true. Very true. How about you, Jeff? What did you think? Well, I definitely agree with um, Mark's take. I love the, uh, just like beating the, being shit out of each other, you know, beat shit up type deal of the film. It's really cool. Uh, as far as like the uh, the connection with the uh, the Ferrigno TV show, I only watched a, a couple of episodes of that show. Again, just like Alexis, uh, it's just a little bit out of my my range. Just like I just like I never watched the original Battlestar Galactica because it just it didn't it didn't fall into my uh, you know uh, timeline uh, with my birth and everything. Um, I, I definitely do understand the connections, though I do, um, and I feel like. Um, in terms of bringing up the 2003 film, I, I won't lie. I love Eric Bana. I really do. Like, I really, I really like Eric Bana. I think he's a great actor. Um, I, I, I love everything he's been in for the most part. And, um, but at the same time, I, I, I would, I, I don't want, I don't want to tie the MCU at all to the 2003 Hulk film. And I mean, honestly, let's be realistic here. A lot of people out there want to distance this film from the MCU, from the Infinity Saga. Like, they want to almost make it as if it's not even a part of it. Um, which is, I think, it, you know, of course, that's an angle we're going to play into and talk about and in that whole situation and, you know, why things worked out the way they did. I couldn't be happier with Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk, personally, even though I may not agree with him politically on some things. I think he's done a really great job and he's represented, um, you know. and uh, But at the same time, uh, this is a little, I guess, off off 
off script or off topic, but I think if Edward Norton had hypothetically what if and been in the Avengers, he would have been pretty damn good. True, true. I think he would have done a good job. I mean, he's not a bad actor, you know, it just unfortunately it did not their ties did not work well with certain things and that's why we ended up getting Ruffalo, which I particularly I'm glad we got Ruffalo because I think he did an amazing job for the films in the Infinity Saga. So I'm very Well hey Cyber, you tell me, man. This was this was back in two thousand eight in the in the in the like original stages of the MCU. Imagine somebody now, an actor or an actress, doing some pulling some crap like that with the MCU or with Marvel Studios. Yeah, right. Yeah, it wouldn't be the same, no. Definitely, definitely. How about you, Lord Deathman? What did you think of that intro there? I have to say, um, before I sort of get into my take on that intro, I want to let everyone know that I po- that I trend positively on the 2003 Hulk. And it's kind of nice to hear that um, that movie has some fans or at least some people who appreciate some aspects of it. But getting right to the meat of your question here, you know, um, that intro really to me was like a Edward Norton's mission statement about the movie. He really does want to do the whole 19, late 70s, Incredible Hulk lonely man bill bixby take in this movie and and you really get that vibe i mean they're literally frame for frame steals from the intro of the television show you see a big red button that says danger and then you see this kind of green crosshair on edward norton's hair you know on his forehead while he's strapped to a chair so he's literally wearing those homages on his sleeve and saying this is, you know, my vision for the film. Not to take anything away from Louis Leterrier, the guy who actually directed the film, but I think Norton played a big role as a producer in trying to shape that part of the vision. As a storytelling mechanic, when I look at it today, I want to say that um, it seems like a very novel way to get a lot of exposition and intro work done, but there are, there are some really sort of like high school stage play moments where people look at the camera suddenly. So a part of that intro is kind of told from the Hulk's point of view. You actually see him come towards people, menace people, grab somebody, and then you have to look at the actor's reaction. I'm seeing like a big green dude who's, and some of those reactions are just so, weirdly broad and and um <laughs> kind of exaggerated to kind of show fear that um it, it's it's very novel to me so i will say that it was a very clever storytelling mechanic to get a lot of exposition out of the way in the intro so it's, there's a very compact efficiency to what they're trying to do from a storytelling perspective but i am just really glad that the MCU sort of storytelling sophistication evolved from from the, those kinds of motifs, uh, you know, moving forward with the other films. So um, it, it, it's uh, I, I I know I don't sound very positive about it, but I also want to be honest. Um, there is something that feels like proto MCU about it. <laughs> yep, 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 yeah. I totally I, I understand what you're talking about, Lord Desmond. Definitely, definitely. Um, which you know brings me to you know what goes on next after that prologue basically you know so they pretty much give us kind of like the intro into giving the a little bit of an origin story at right at the beginning of the film we get that so that they don't have to do it throughout the whole entire film like we were talking about saying you know Jordy films at the time they kept retelling it they kept retelling it so let's get past that and let's do something a little different and they did that with this then we get you know we now we're off to where you know bruce is over in brazil now 
which is I'm pretty sure that's where the 2003 one was where he ended up at the end of 2003rd one. So I think I'm not, they said it was South America. I can't remember if they specifically said where in okay. South America. But anyway, so like same kind of, you know, Hispanic nature, I would say I feel this what they were going for at the end of the 2003 one too. So it kind of made me think of the same thing a little bit. But anyways, but so we go, we're now over in Brazil, you know, Bruce is doing all these like handyman things and he's trying to learn how to, you know, basically uh, keep his aggression down so that he doesn't turn into the Hulk and not have accidents. And I was wondering, did everyone notice how throughout the whole entire film, it kept saying how, you know, saying that, you know, the no free, free incidences, you know, zero days, 13 days, three days and stuff like that. And I thought it was kind of interesting how they kept showing that throughout the entire movie. And I was curious as what your guys' thoughts were on that whole caliber of the film, showing that little statistic. So let's start with you, Alexis. What did you think about it? Um, I thought that was a good way to sort of set up where we were, the idea that Bruce's big thing is defined by how well he is able to stay as himself versus as the Hulk. I mean, we go back to that with Thor Ragnarok when he's like, I've been the Hulk for two years. You know, this that was just so unheard of for him. Uh, it it kind of reminds me a lot of when you would see, uh, I guess, like nuclear reactors and buildings, and you would see like so-and-so days without incident and things like that. And I think that was really what they were trying to set up, that when Bruce becomes the Hulk, it's not just he's going through something it is the equivalent of an incident at a a nuclear plant yep yep very true very true uh how about you mark what did you think about that whole like statistic thing that they kept showing throughout the film uh points to the the theme the central theme the movie revolves around this is about uh banner not accepting the hulk seeing it as a disease a debilitating disease and wanting to find a cure you know, and so the Hulk isn't a person, you know, it, it isn't an entity. It's, it's in his mind, it's a, uh, like I said, it's a disease of some sort. It's something to be, you know, rid of. And when it happens, it's an episode. Um, you know, like if you have like an episode of uh, cancer or something, you know, it's, it's, it's like, I, I, which is to go with Alexis's point, it's a really interesting take on the arc of this character from here all the way through. Uh, the rest of the Infinity Saga is his learning to accept this thing and then, you know, eventually being a part of it and becoming one with it. Uh, but it's, it's a good starting place. Also, in, in terms of setting up tension, it's when, you know, when you immediately see that and you're like, oh, okay, um, we're, we're treating this like an explosion almost, you know, like a, like a workplace disaster. And well, when's the next one going to be? And how, you know, and how is that going to affect him? So these are all really uh, good that's why I don't understand why people hate this movie so much. There's a lot right at the beginning that sets up uh, that's really good examples of film craft. Hmm, very true, very true. How about you, uh, Arch? What did you think about that whole process? Uh, I agree with uh, Mark uh, specifically. Like, it's it's really about his psychology. It like really sets that up. And and there's several there's several moments that depict that. Like he's taking breathing lessons very early on in the film to try to control it. He's uh, you know, begging people not to fight him. He's, you know, he's, and, and I think maybe the key scene, I don't know if we're going to talk about this too much, but he, this is serious. He is on top of Liv Tyler and has to turn her down. I can't imagine doing that or being, 
or the stress of like having to do that. And I would have they, already finished at that point if I had met him. I was going to say they cut the scene where he threw himself out the window, a la Cowardly Lion. I mean, I mean, I mean, seriously, it sounds like a joke, but I mean, really, like if you're in his position, I mean, I, I you know, I, this, that's that's a that's a really tough thing to do, man. It really is, and it just shows how committed he is to not having this come out of him. So, I mean, I think it's a really telling scene, actually. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. I think I I think and Lord Deathman agrees it was a very weak moment for him. <laughs> no, it, it was not a weak moment. Um, honestly, um, you know, if we're segueing to me and, and my thoughts on this, I thought it was a great piece of character work. Actually, you want to create this reality where Bruce Banner is a scientist. He's a, he's a man who would be using the scientific method, and he would be using the techniques and the instrumentation. <laughs> of it to to really sort of chart the progress of his condition to really track it on this really granular granular level and i think by showing it as a graphic or a tag in the movie that was really a a clever piece of storytelling that sort of reinforced the reality of the way bruce banner would sort of look at his condition at this point very true very true so we have a new guy in our comments over here. Let's get to him. And uh, it's Vincent Van Spock. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you for your question. Also heard you're recently a new subscriber to the channel. Awesome. Thank you for coming on by. Uh, he asked all of us, Hey, guys, my question is for all of you. For those of you who like the 2003 Hulk movie, what specifically did you like? And for those who did not like it, what specifically did you not like? So how about we uh, answer that question for him? Let's start with you, Alexis. Am I the only one here who doesn't like that movie? I liked it. I'm 50-50 on it. I love it. I, I love it. I love the, the Ang Lee film. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm in the minority here. I think the thing I don't like about it so much is that it feels incredibly unfocused. Ang Lee is a great director, and I love so many of his other movies. But it's so clear that when he got this, he did not get this with a vision of what he wanted to do. He wanted to experiment. Because there are so many things in this movie that don't add up. The constant uh, crazy panels shifting all over the place, uh, especially during scenes where nothing's really happening, where insanely annoying i think it's very hard to really get into it when you're noticing that constantly i feel it takes it takes you out of the movie um the scenes with the hulk himself uh for most of the movie were limited and i felt did not gear us up that much the first scene he there, there's no the first thing we get the hulk there is literally no reason he changes bruce is just in the laboratory and all of a sudden it's like okay i'm gonna be hulk and he changes into the hulk and and I'm just gonna say it. I'm sorry. I thought Jennifer Connelly was terrible as um, in her role. <laughs> I know, I know. She's gorgeous. She's sexy. She's great in a bunch of other films. Arch, please forgive me. I was about to say I forgot Jennifer Connelly on my list of '90s crushes I had when I was a high schooler. I know. Um, I she's gonna day. die now. Connelly. Oh God, Arch. I'm sorry, but I felt that the majority of this film, she was just. Daring that you get the scene where Hulk picks her up and she's just going. No woman would react that way to being picked up by the Jolly Green Giant. Is that a failure of direction or acting, though? 
It's Jennifer Connelly. She can do whatever she wants. Maybe she was still high from Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> okay, she's, I don't know. Maybe she was... just bounced back from that butt to butt scene there at the end. Thanks for reminding me of that, Jeff. Look, maybe that was bad direction. I don't know. Because, yeah, she's a great actor. But so much of that movie, she's like, so she's just acting like, huh? It, so much of the movie I thought was not pulling you into the action. And I'm also going to say it, Hulk and CGI, let's face it, 2003 did not look that good. You get, when you get the scene when he's running across the desert and jumping, it literally looks like he's clipping. Like the CGI, they're there. They're like, we can't get him to totally touch the ground. And when he just starts jumping, it looks so silly. I'm sorry. It doesn't look like massive strength. It looks like a kid on a trampoline. Would you? Did you have something to say, Jeff? Yeah, I just wanted to say that, like, if I had gone through what she went through at that party at the end of Requiem for a Dream, Jennifer Conley, like, shit, I would have been freaking, like, looking all weird and, like, looking un- unfocused and everything during my scenes, too. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm not arguing that she's a bad actress. She's not. She's a great actress. She is gorgeous. All the 90s crushes on her are earned. But this was not one of her good movies. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I can understand. I know a lot of people did criticize Jennifer Colony for this film. I, I did see a lot of that comments when they came out. Um, but then there was also a lot of positive feedback for her too. So I mean, it, it was. I felt it was an equal, you know, thing. I didn't think she was that bad in it. I thought she definitely did what she could for, you know, being the beginning of CGI films for its time. I mean, don't forget, she had to act with CGI characters majority of that film. So what she did with what she had, I thought she did a pretty good job. Um, So let's go to Arch here now for his comments, please. Uh, All right. Jennifer Connelly's just my girl, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) Like, that's just it. So, uh, so the, uh, no, seriously, I love her, but, um, the uh, the uh, what I loved about this film, just uh, to one of Alexis's comments here, like about the um, you know the the framing and like it literally turned this movie into like a series of comic book panels. Uh, but I just want to like frame this is this was very early on. It, it was sort of an experimental era when when people were trying different things with comic books, and and I like that they tried this. I, I don't know. You, you you could argue that maybe it wasn't as successful as you wanted it to be, but I just love that somebody had the balls to like go out and like try to make a, see what a comic book movie could look like if you tried to make it a comic book panel on on film. So I, I really appreciate all that. I actually do. I, I really like it. There's one particular scene that I like it in, and it's when um, Nick Nolte is sitting in prison cell and he kind of looks up and he just sees these like evil eyes and they freeze frame it. And then all this other stuff is going up on top of it, but his eyes just continue to get darker and darker and darker, and it is so menacing. I love it. I just think that's a fantastic cut and a fantastic shot. So I think that's great. Um, but uh, mostly, I think overall, I just I love the character work. It's a little bit of a slower film in, in some areas, uh, but a lot of it's. It, it, I, I really felt at least like the you know the father daughter relationship and this uh, and the psychology that of of uh, Bruce himself that where he's like afraid to make connections. Like he wants to be with this girl, but he doesn't know how it's, I really felt all that. So I think on a character level, it really works and I really feel it and I really enjoy it. So that's it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. How about you, Mark? Uh, answering that question there. A couple of things. One, I think if you had called it ham sandwich and not the Hulk and no one knew it had any connection to a comic book character. Um, I don't think people hate it as much. There's an expectation with the Hulk. We talked about it at the start of the show. There's an expectation you're going to get Bill Bixby Hulk, that you're going to get something from the comic books. Not an experimental art piece, 
that is also a think piece and a you know and a uh, a thoughts on uh, what Angley was going for in this movie. I thought it's an it was an interesting experiment, and you know I, people always talk about the comic panels thing. <laughs> Again, I, I, we do, we just reviewed this movie Spun on my podcast, which was uh, about people using meth. And there's a lot of interesting things they do with the camera. And it's one of those rare films where, you're, you know, the director is doing really fun, um, artsy things with the camera. And that's what Ang Lee was going for. It's like, well, what, you know, what if we experimented with panels in a comic book coming to life in a film? Um, you know, no one has to love it. But I think, I, I think it deserves points for at least being interesting and novel in film. As far as I mean, everyone makes fun of Eric Bana and Jennifer Connelly for sort of the you know, the Kristen Stewart method of acting, which is just leave your mouth open and stare at the camera. Um, I, I get it. I really do. Um, and, and again, I think Ang Lee wasn't going for a smash and bash and crash him. He was, he was going for uh, this, you know, th this thoughtful... Um, sorry, I can't think of the word I want to use here, but it doesn't matter. The point being that... He, <laughs> he was trying to examine certain things in the film and there's a debate to be had of how successful that was, but that's what they were going for there. And so, you know, the idea of actors being able to sit still in front of the camera, look contemplative, those are all things he does successfully. Now, if you went to the movie theater on a Saturday night to watch contemplative movie, uh, thinking that this was going to be the Hulk, yeah, I get why people are pissed. But I think if you just isolate the movie and sort of sit down and watch what the man did with the art, of filmmaking, um, I actually think the movie works on a lot of levels. I just, I just don't think it's a Hulk movie. You know, it's you know, Ham Sandwich, the Monster Man. That's it, gotcha. and, and I just kind of leave it at that. Yeah, gotcha, well, gotcha. Yeah. Also, just one, one one thing about the CGI. Yeah, not, early CGI, not good. But um, it's it's kind of fun to look at a gene, a green blob running around on the screen. You know, it's like it's like like if you're into video games, like old school video games, like oh that's cute looking. That's what I'm saying. It's like a video game. Yeah, it was very much yeah. like that. I, I don't know how purposeful that was. I don't know, if, like no, make it look brighter and greener and you know less real. Like I, Ang Lee, it's supposed to be a real dude. No, I want Qbert, but green. All right, you you're the fucking director, man. <laughs> I just work for you. That's how I'm picturing how it went behind the scene. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and this going back to the storyboard, you know, aspect of the film, you can either like you were saying, you can either hate it or love it. There's a lot of art piece movies that are like that, where there are certain frames that people are just not going to be alike or agree with. So I feel that's pretty much with any film, because I've seen plenty of films where I didn't care for the angling they did with certain things or the way they did certain things, similar to how a lot of people didn't like the whole comic book story, you know, strip look for this Hulk. So I totally understand and get that and that, you know, it's, it's going to be, you either like it or you're not going to like it. And I totally understand why. Real quick. Like everyone makes fun of this one too, but it's a really obvious example. Like JJ Abrams in the lens flare, it's obviously a style choice. He's using it for effect. And now it's, he's done it so much that people make fun of it. But, you know, when you think about like, you know, if you forget that he does it as a regular thing, you just kind of look at like some of the Star Trek's that he's done and some of the other movies where he's used it. It, you know, it definitely adds to a shot. It, it's come, it's become gimmicky. My point being, it's, I think it's a really good example of, you know, again, a director sort of making some artistic choices instead of just, I mean, like, they're not documentarians. They're making film. You know, they're making an art piece. 
Very true, very true. How about you, Lord Devman? How about what's your take on that question? Well, uh, first off, shout outs to Vincent for such a great question. It's really unfortunate that you can't talk about the Incredible Hulk without inevitably having to talk about the Hulk. It, I mean, every message board you go to, every podcast you're on, inevitably the two films have to be compared. And I really do think that they're separate categories. I, I mean, they only happen to feature the same main character, but they're two very different films. And over the years, I've gained an appreciation for the Ang Lee Hulk. I think when I saw it, I, I really liked it and had a feeling as a, as a younger fan that I'd seen something really different that, that catered to... Um, you know, I have this theory about there being two types of Hulk fan. Uh, if you've, you know, if you've read the comic books over the years, there are probably certain aspects of the character that you're more attracted to. There are fans who kind of love the action, the violent side. They get to live vicariously through this character that is completely indestructible and indiscriminate in his, uh, you know, gratuitous destruction of things. And then there's a, a, a smaller segment of the fandom for the Hulk that are really into the idea that the Hulk is this tragic figure, that he is kind of a Frankenstein, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde angle, any of that kind of, you know, those classic archetypes of being an outcast. And depending on what side of the Hulk spectrum you fall on, one of those two movies was going to make more sense to you. And I think um, Ang Lee's Hulk overall is, is a swing and a miss, but it is such a big swing. It is such a big swing in trying to bring you into the psychology of the Hulk. You know, um, some of the some of the like the 90s was like the dark ages for most Marvel characters in terms of trying to tell stories about them. But for the Hulk, it was not. It was like a renaissance when you have writers like Peter David trying to delve into the psychological ramifications of gamma radiation poisoning. You get some really good storytelling out of that era. And I think Ang Lee probably looked at that as his reference. But I loved the 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 feelings of pathos you get out of that Hulk movie. I really liked the idea of um, the metaphor that he uses. There's this what I think is a brilliant mechanism he uses for after Dr. Banner gets irradiated by the gamma poisoning. His repressed anger is in his mind behind a door and and it, it keeps threatening to kind of like come to the forefront with these visuals that he puts together and every time you see it it progresses the hulk the hulk is coming and i really like that idea of having to not literally show anger but to come up with a kind of figurative way that was really poetic um and that lab transformation, you finally see the Hulk break through that mental barrier in Dr. Banner's mind, and then you get the full-on transformation. I, I just think Ang Lee obviously is a, is a very thoughtful director. I think that Hulk 2003 is actually a lot better casted than Hulk than The Incredible Hulk. That's just my take. I, I know it's a hot take. I think Sam Elliott is a better Thunderbolt Ross than, than uh, John Hurt. Um, I think uh, Jennifer Connelly kind of did a better uh, Betty Ross than Liv Tyler. Liv Tyler's kind of like, oh, you know, my man, he's in trouble. And, and um, I'm, I'm kind of like all panicky and anxious is how she spends the movie. Whereas Connelly plays Betty Ross as a scientist. She's like, you know, this, this is a guy that I have some kind of romantic sub subtext with. But he's also a, a fascinating subject who's been, you, you know, sort of 
like she also looks at him coldly like this weird experiment that she's trying to analyze at the same time that she's having these kind of romantic feelings for him. And, you know, Sam Elliott just blew me out of the water as as uh, there's there's no way you can tell me his T-bolt is not better than Hertz um, Thunderbolt. Um, the, the chemistry between him and Connolly, for instance, there's there's just a little moment in in the Hulk in 2003 where Ross, the two Rosses are meeting for like a, a little sit down meal. And when he sees his daughter coming into the restaurant, the general stands up like like a gentleman. A, a woman is coming to sit at this table and he literally like Sam Elliott's character just stood up, waited for his daughter to be seated. You know, and that that felt like, wow, such such a cool character choice. Whereas, you know, Hurt spends most of his movie as the mustache twirling, oh, fire the cannons and hit him with the 60. And 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 whereas T-Bolt in, in 2003 is written as a military commander who has total control of his battle space with the Hulk. He's making military decisions in the desert. Let's funnel him in this particular direction. You know, it's like he, he, and he changes strategies in the battlefield dynamically. He knows he can't pierce through that hide. It's like, okay, I, I, I funneled him out here. Now it's about containment. And, and some of his dialogue, like, yeah, turn it into a parking lot. It, it, it's just so badass in terms of his T-bolt. Um, I really, really was kind of like, you know, John Hurt's a great actor, but uh, Sam Elliott kind of did it better. Uh, uh, Banna um, also struck me as being a better choice than Eric Norton. Eric Norton ki- kind of um, plays the Hulk as, oh, I don't want to get excited. Edward, 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 Edward. Right, right. I'm sorry. Norton, Edward Norton's brother? <laughs> Edward Norton kind of, um, he plays the Hulk as, oh, I don't want to get too excited. You know, like, oh, I don't want my heart rate to shoot up past blah, blah, blah. Like that bus in Speed. <laughs> there, yeah, there's like yeah. he rare he rare for a guy who's supposed to have astonishing problems with anger norton rarely ever gets angry in the incredible hulk i mean watch the movie he he literally kind of plays it oh you know i'm going from a to b to c and you know i, I don't want to get my heart weighed up too high but banna banna's definitely struggling with with anger so like uh and again an example of that is after he he transforms back from the Hulk to uh, Eric Bana, you'll see that he can't shake off the caveman mentality, right? He he wants to eat a lot of food, and he he can't quite get his vocabulary right, and he and he's still like in that mindset of having this power. Whereas for Norton, it was like, oh, you know, I did that, and and now that I'm man, regular dude he's, again. He's too made up, bro. He's just too <laughs> made up for for the Hulk, bro. That's actually a really good point. Um, who are you again? Love Death Guy. Um, <laughs> Lord Death Man. Death man. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Death my God. Get your ass now. Oh, um, my God. Now I'm, I'm going to have to take crap on that on Sakar for like you're gonna get, you're it, gonna get Love Death Man. Man. I wanna, despite me ma- mastering your name, you made a brilliant point there, uh, Steve. You're Steve now. Um, and that is that they really that, that is the one downside to the uh, to the, the incredible hulk starting the way that it does because you don't get a sense of who he was before this happened the movie dealing with him going i got to keep it inside i got to keep it inside works okay enough but without that that sort of prelude chapter of him you know it's insinuated that he kind of just loses his patience and tested on himself you know william hurt uh talks about that uh, when he's explaining it to Tim Roth, he's like, 
I'm going to go between character and real names a lot. Sorry. But um, when he's talking to the, when, when he's talking to Abomination, he's like, you know, oh, he, uh, he got impatient and he tested it on himself. And like, okay, that's an allusion to him not having a tremendous amount of um, ability to control himself. But I think you're right. I think you need that. You need to see him doing those things, then becoming the, you know, then becoming the Hulk. And then for the rest of the movie, he can play it, you know, play it small and play it calm because, you know, he has to, or he turns into this death machine. Yeah. And, and again, you know, I, I love both of these movies. I just think the incredible Hulk is much more, I don't want to say formulaic because that sounds harsh and it has negative connotations, but it efficiently carries you from plot point A to B to C and D, you know, without you having to do much thinking, you know, you're going to get big payoffs in terms of action from that Hulk. But I, I do think that while Lee took the garden path with 2003, there's much to be appreciated in him delving a little deeper into the character and, and trying to make his characters more fleshed out. I think he's just, a, a, a even in his mistakes, he's a bit more confident and creative than Leterrier as is as a director. But, but that's just me. I, I really have gained a huge appreciation for the Hulk 2003 just over time. Uh, and, and not all of it works. There's a lot of stuff about it that the comic book panels... I'm like, okay, that's that's real literal, dude. But you know, he, he's kind of making up a genre here as as he's going along. There wasn't like a ton of MCU and DC movies to look at to sort of Ang is really trying to put together the first what I will call, you know, modern comic book movie with the 2003 Hulk. So uh, huge fan of it. And I think Vincent, that was a fantastic question. So once again, shout outs to you for bringing that to the panel. Well, thank you, Lord Deathman. Uh, Alexis, go ahead and say what you wanted to say earlier. In this. First of all, uh, you know what, Lord Deathman, I will agree with you that if there is one redeemable act, in my opinion, from the Hulk, it is Sam Elliott as Thunderbolt Ross. William Hurt, and it is William Hurt. John Hurt is the late actor. Oh, my who God. Did movie. I say John Hurt? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Thank you there. Yeah. Well, hey, is, when you live in the hell dimension, you 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 roll with I'm John out of touch. Occasionally. I'm out of touch. But let's let the lady finish. She was agreeing with me. <laughs> yes, that is right. But the one thing, there's one element from the movie that none of you guys brought up, but I just gotta know. What did you think of the Hulk poodle? <laughs> I would say that's one of Lee's uh, swings and misses. The the Hulk poodle was just out of nowhere. Um, I mean, I know the Hulk dogs was part of the, there was in the book. There were, there was yeah. a, a story based on it, but, but they it, were it, never poodles. <laughs> it, it didn't translate, you know, I, I don't know if he wanted to put that in there for a, a little fun. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of the many, you know, things that doesn't work about the film, but doesn't somehow take away from its overall greatness. Did the other two dogs work? And it's just the fact that it was a poodle for the third one. Is that the only thing? Like the other two yeah. dogs worked, right? Hang yeah. The, it, I think they were pit bulls. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Right, right. It, it, it is 19 look. years later and we still remember this. It, that makes it effective. <laughs> okay. I, still, I still remember watching that as a kid when it came out. I, oh my God. It was... 2003 i would have been like 19 18 19 and i remember watching going really uh, yeah, a but french I, poodle and it's not just that it's a poodle it's a poodle with the prissy haircut to boot yeah, it's got the, the, the was, little pom-pom ears that fight was brutal though he's like ramming his fist down his throat he's like <laughs> ramming a dog through a tree i love that there's fight. neon blood so spraying everywhere um, his butt showed 
It's so great. Yeah. It's and, and here we all are talking about it in 2021. Yep. Clearly, this is an unrecognized masterpiece. It is. Mark, it is, you it defended is. this, didn't you, on trial? No, we, this is one of the few we haven't gotten to. We have oh. de- we have defended Catwoman. If anyone would like to hear the malarkey I came up with, defend it. <laughs> we'll have to go uh, to that one in a different alcohol. podcast. Yeah, I don't want to know how much alcohol you needed for that. Say, <laughs> Jeff, if you want to, say, Jeff, if you really want to jump on the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network, there's something for you. Would you be willing to do an on trial on Angley's The Hulk against Mark? <laughs> I, well, I can tell you right now, I'm going to be rocking like a four a four count of these uh, wicked red apples when I if I do a Catwoman review with Mark, it's I'm going to be straight. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be straight straight jacked. You want to know how much one. alcohol was involved? Ask Sean Alexis. He was the he he had to prosecute that one and listen to my nonsense. <laughs> All <laughs> right, so Jeff, a few times I feel sorry for that man. <laughs> yeah. So Jeff, tell us what what is your take on Vincent's uh, question? Well, I, listen, I love I, I would I would love to do a review of the Ang Lee Hulk film with Alexis and Mark anytime, just because I, I would enjoy the the collaboration and the camaraderie and the friendship of the uh, whole deal. Even though it would be like a lot of laughing, and I mean, yeah, like I said, I'm fifty fifty on the film. Um, I feel like uh, you know with Jennifer Conley, I feel like. Um, she, I, I just don't think that she that she does the whole like secondary character as like the girlfriend deal that like Liv Tyler pulls off very well. Um, and personally, to me, in The Incredible Hulk, I feel like she's believable. Um, and I mean, honestly, the that whole that whole secondary aspect of The Incredible Hulk film where you have them trying to get into the relationship between uh, Bruce Banner and, uh, you know, and Betty kind of falls off a little bit for me. But so, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, any criticisms of, of Jennifer Connelly being like lukewarm or whatever, uh, you know, in the Ang Lee film compared to like Liv Tyler, I don't really, you know, either way. I mean, it's about the same deal to me. Um, but I feel like uh, maybe it's possible that this was the this was like the the original state of Marvel, you know, production of films. Um, this was the beginning. I mean, this was the you know, the, uh, like 2003. Kevin Feige was working for Marvel Studios, um, but it was a totally different setup and everything. And but I mean, they you know they they produced the film. And um, and everything, but that that they were making that was their baby steps process. So like, of course, like as far as I'm concerned, um, the 2003 film is going to suffer a little bit, just from like a standpoint of timing, um, like with the CGI and the special effects and everything. I feel like, you know, no wonder you know he just looks like a, a green blob on there. It was 2003, uh, but then again. There were some films that did special effects around that time better than than I thought in the Ang Lee film. I wonder if it's possible that um, Ang Lee sort of maybe because of the timing of where Marvel Studios was at and their restructuring of the whole Marvel enterprise because of the comic book bust. I wonder if Ang Lee sort of just came in and took over the whole production in a way potentially maybe and we would have gotten a better movie if it had been more Kevin Feige, more Marvel Studios, because obviously let's be honest here, 
you can find things with Kevin Feige that you that you don't like or you don't agree with, but I would I would like to find a person that's not confident that he doesn't know what the hell he's doing and isn't going to deliver with you know any of these you know upcoming projects in the MCU right now, other than the Eternals. Unless they like blow me away with the next trailer, I'm seriously like uh, I, I've got the Eternals in the bottom of my list of MCU productions. I'm looking forward to see. I'm I'm more interested in the She-Hulk series at this point than I am like uh, the Eternals. Um, but I'll tell you this: as far as the 2003 Hulk goes, all I really have to say is just that I do agree with a lot of what everybody else already said that I felt like Banna was more authentic about his anger and like his emotions and stuff like that, as opposed to Edward Norton, where, you know, he, you're right. He, he really doesn't lose it ever. Like when he's angry in the, in the incredible Hulk, he's never really all that angry. He seems very like chilled out. Even when like uh Betty gets tackled or whatever by like the military guy, he just puts his hands up on the glass and he's like, and he like makes a smirk. <laughs> Which is ironic given Eric, um, what's his name? Uh, Eric Norton. Uh, Edward, Edward Norton. Edward Norton's um, <laughs> astonishing anger problems like behind the sets of, of every movie. Sorry to interrupt you, Jeff, but he can't, he can't uh, muster a monicum of real anger in The Incredible Hulk. Yet he's well known for doing it in Hollywood. Well, that's why I brought up the meta thing because he is he is well known as like one of those like intellectual, selfish ass like you know it's all about me type actors or whatever. So that's why I slipped that in because like you know I just thought like uh, it would have it definitely would have been interesting seeing him collaborate with Robert Downey Jr. on the Avengers. It would have been nice. It would have been cool to see scenes between him and Robert going back and forth and how that would have played out. Um, but uh, no, look, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the 2003 film is what it is. It's it, like I said, I'm 50, 50 on it. Do I think it's an okay movie? Yeah, it's all right. Um, the CGI, the special effects are 10 times better in the incredible Hulk than in the, the Banna Hulk film. I mean, uh, I feel like, it's pretty authentic. Like what you get from the 2008 Hulk film is pretty, pretty authentic in terms of the abomination Hulk, you know, look, the, the, like the, the only thing I have to say though, just to close my, my comment out is that I don't know where the hell they came up with like the Hulk look for the Edward Norton Hulk, because they don't even look alike. Like they don't like, I mean, like at least Ruffalo has like some like facial, structure <laughs> going on that's connected to like his Hulk. Like you can see a diff you can see like a, a, a connection there. Um but like with uh with Edward Norton's Hulk, there's like no connection. Yeah like different I remember hair, there like say I remember one of the complaints that came out when the movie came out was someone pointed out that the Hulk in this one has a scar on his face and they were just oh great now I'm not going uh but yeah they had they were just like so why all of a sudden does he have a scar because Norton doesn't have a scar on his face. How does that work? And admittedly, yeah, that was a little weird. That was what but Jennifer Connelly had to go ahead and slap him up real quick and let him know what was going on. You know what I mean? When he was dropping that low libido crap on her. On her. I'll just I'll just say a lot a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is why I like these two as sequels. Like 
there, you know, the, the, the Betty Bruce relationship is more business in the first one. And it's more personal in the second one. Cause they haven't seen each other in a long time. Like the, you know, his, ang he has anger issues in the first one, but he's learned how to kind of deal with that. And he doesn't have them as much in the second one. So that's why I like these two as, as sequels. And, and cyber, I, I know you're anxious to move us on, but can I make one closing comment uh, in defense of the CGI for Hulk 2003. <laughs> Most certainly, sir. And it's really hard to, to defend a potato because <laughs> a lot of the CGI is, is real jank town. But I don't know how much I can blame Ang Lee for the processing power of a computer in 2003 and how far you could push those pixels. I want to say that a lot of people conflate the concepts of the quality of the CGI is in the photorealisticness of it with the actual character designs. So I absolutely hate the character design for the Hulk and the Incredible Hulk. He looks oily, kind of dirty, and the design is really a reaction to the criticism they got in the 2003 character design where everybody was like, oh, you know, my man, he looks a little chubby. He should be more shredded out. Oh, my God. You know, like a Julianne salad. Uh but when you get to the Incredible Hulk, the guy has like negative 10 body fat, right? He, he His like whole body is just like a piece of stone that has to ambulate. Um, and I don't know. He, he just the lighting. He never fits well into to the environment. Maybe the stuff in Harlem at night was like passable. But th there's a lot of it. Like when it rains on him, it looks like like a baby oil shower. Like he just, just <laughs> himself up for a Mr. Universe contest. But, you know, I, I, I kind of like the character design and the animation of the 2003. I mean, go back and take a look at it. It's, it's a movie I've seen a couple of times, so I know I've got everybody at a bit of a disadvantage. But the animation choices they make with the character of the Hulk in the 2003, there's so many little subtle things they do. Like the Hulk never gets anything right the first time. Like as he's emerging as a monster, there's a scene where he's trying to pick up this huge centrifuge it's like this circular device and he holds it over his head and then drops it like <laughs> he's like he couldn't he didn't know how to like grab it to to get the weight right then he makes a second attempt and then finally gets it into a position where he can kind of throw it through a wall and there's a lot of these moments where the animators clearly didn't want the hulk to get everything right um as a newly born creature trying to acclimate to this level of strength and power and um i i invite you not, I, and i'm gonna say it the photorealism and and the the texture mapping and and the build all that stuff was janky but the guys who had to sit there and and sort of push the keyframes in terms of the acting choices that the character makes in hulk 2003 outstanding and far better than the incredible hulk and rant. a lot of people don't realize <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that they used a lot of um, – they didn't use as much CGI in this, in The Incredible Hulk versus the 2003 Hulk, for the Hulk in this film because they actually used a lot of practical applications of like suits and pieces to actually put the Hulk together because that's what Louis Lettier wanted. He wanted a more like a uh, – more like the Lou Ferrigno Hulk. He wanted it to be a little bit more realistic. So that's Authentic. why a lot more of that – 
that oily body look and stuff like that with this Hulk because they were using prosthetics and, and actual items with along with the CGI. So I think that made a big difference, and that's what... I mean, don't forget, 2003, the CGI is so different now versus then that I still think that for 2003, that CGI was amazing. I mean, I thought that the Hulk was real when I saw that in theaters back in 2003. I thought it was uh, inevitably at the time amazing CGI work for a you know comic book type of film. And I was really impressed with what the Hulk in that and it being fully CGI. And so I thought that the even the look to me looked more comic bookish to me because like if you go to look at the comic book from you know the 60s of the original Hulk who was gray at first, he looked stocky like that. He looked almost like that zombie thing from Scooby-Doo. That's what he looked like. So I feel that it was very comic book accurate to that film. So I actually thought that was pretty decently done versus this Hulk and this one. Because definitely the one that we finally got to see in Avengers was a far better looking Hulk too, being a fully CGI versus this one too. Because like, you know, Lord Deathman was saying, he looked like he was oily, you know, sliced alone, basically, I feel, <laughs> in this you know, so I mean, it, it, it was like they borrowed the production team from like Greece. <laughs> John Travolta yeah, was in on it. Oh, even God, even the Hulk's teeth. So, are okay. in, in so I'm only on here for another yep. hour before I have to go free my dogs from their upstairs prison. And we have yet yes, to actually talk on. about the movie that I was brought on to. So maybe yes. we, I, I, yes. in the words of Monty Python, shall we get we to the point? On. Yeah, we're moving Thank you, on. Alexis. So, so moving on, since Alexis wants to move on. Anyways, so now that we got to Brazil, I'm sorry, if we don't move on, you guys are going to hear a lot more whining and crying upstairs, okay? Oh, my goodness. Anyway, so as we move on, now, you know, we've talked about him being in Brazil. He starts to do his research on his own. He's, like, sending his Mr. Green guy, who we ended up later in the film seeing who is. Mr. And then tries this flower thing. Mr. This yeah, Mr. Blue. So as we go on, there's the flower that he ends up using to try to treat his abnormality, as he likes to call it. And as we proceed throughout the film, you know, he's trying to do this, and he decides he's going to take a blood sample and send it to this gentleman. And so as he does that, we get this whole montage. He, you know, he has this altercation and stuff, and we get to the very first actual full reveal of the Hulk. So talking about this scene here where he has the conversation with those the Brazilian guys, you know, basically get them mad and then the military show up and all that stuff. So we get our first real look. At what was your first thought when you first saw that scene when all of a sudden it showed his face? He comes out of the shadows and he's like, Err. what were you guys' first thoughts on that? Let's start off with you, Mark. I uh, rewatched this today and I, it's funny, I had the same reaction. Uh, today, as I did the first time I saw this, uh, Marvel doesn't do horror all that much, um, but they were definitely going for that. At least in that first scene, they're they're gonna run away from the horror elements later on in the movie, which is fine. But that first scene, they they were definitely going for a you know a, a monster slasher kind of horror in the shadows kind of a thing. Like you see the one guy, um, he's sort of standing there, and then he gets pulled into the darkness. Um, and there's a lot. I, I really liked it. You know, they will. We will eventually get to a full reveal of the Hulk, but 
they build it up. Um, so it's just a guy disappears and then another thing happens and another thing, you know, and you're seeing very little of the Hulk and it builds and it builds and, you know, and eventually you have a great unveiling and there he is and all his glory. Um, I liked it. I liked the way that the director of this one brought you along slowly to get, you know, to get you to truly appreciate what this character is going to be. Um, we haven't gotten there yet, but then later on, you know, in broad daylight, you get to see the Hulk and all of his glory, you know, all of his glory and all of that, destroying tanks and having a, having what everyone came for to see the Hulk just, you know, throw tanks around, which is great. But yeah, that first scene um, of his reveal uh, was, was very well handled. I think it was the right way to go. I don't think you just want to, you know, be like, okay, and here's the Hulk. And then he's just standing there with no introduction, you know, no nothing. Um, you, you see it all the time in movies, you know, the camera pans down, you see feet and then you go up and then there he is or something like that. So I, I thought it was, I thought it was well handled. Thank you. Yeah, I agree too. How about you, Alexis? What did you think? Definitely taking a page out of the Jaws handbook, which I'm thankful whenever a, not necessarily horror director, but whenever a director leans into it, that when you have your monster, you don't show the monster all at once. You tease. And this was a tease. We get a little bit of the Hulk. We get kind of a silhouette in the smoke. We can see the face. But we don't get a full real reveal. There's That's a smart move. Leaving it to when he's actually in daylight. And then we get to see the Hulk in glorious form. I think if we had seen all of the Hulk in this first shot, it wouldn't have been... I, th I think it would have just been too much. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. How about you, uh, Arch? What did you think? Uh, yeah, I thought it was all about the emotion, really, building it up in like a few different ways. Like one, you get before he actually turns into it, you get Edward Norton saying, "Please don't do this." Like you feel like the panic in his in, in his uh, in his voice that like this is gonna be bad. Um, and then you get a several other things, like you get General Ross like screaming, "Like no, no, no!" He's like pissed off that this is happening. And then um, you you see uh, Emil Blonsky like both simultaneously oppressed and afraid of this at the same time, like. He's, he's like talking to Ross right after that. He's like, what the heck? He picked up this forklift and threw it at me like a softball. He's like, what is going on? You can like really feel all the emotion in that. And, and I, I thought it was like great. That kind of carried on through uh, with Emil's character throughout the entire thing where he like was afraid of it, but also impressed and kept wanting more and more and more of it. And I, I thought that was really the key point of that scene. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, yeah. How about you, Jeff? Could you will you re reposition the question for me, Cyber, so I know where we're at? So we're at the very first showing of the Incredible Hulk in the in the uh, the Brazil uh, Brazil factory where the Brazilian guys are beating him up and he turns into Hulk for the first time, and also the military is there chasing him as well. Well, I I loved it. I I, I really think that. Um... Overall, just like we've already heard from Lord Deathman, um, and I think it's already been kind of mentioned by, by other folks here on the panel, I feel like the movie was really well done. I mean, from, from start to finish, step by step, it's a well-done film. Um, it's very contained. The structure of it is very set. It's very established, and it makes its point, and it carries it out. I mean um, – it's not, you know, I mean, at that point, you know, you, it's up to you as the as the uh, the audience member to take it as you see it. But overall, um, regardless of like the little, you know, stuff with Edward Norton not looking angry and stuff like that, uh, 
the it, to me it's a very good well done film um well directed whatever edward norton did with as far as as far as refining the screenplay he did a great job um because the story is good is great and it carries and as far as the hulk and the first sighting of the film i feel like um obviously it was a very big uh contraction to like the 2003 film as far as visually he was very much in the shadows and everything um I liked it. I liked how they did it. I thought it was very um, surprising. I mean, let's be honest here. There's a major angle to this film where, with where, where you're dealing with Bruce Banner, Edward Norton as like a person the whole time, basically, and that's that's the majority of the time what you're dealing with. And there's like a very like the fugitive with Harrison Ford type angle to like the film at times, you know what I mean? Almost like an espionage type feel like, but the fugitive is, is like a great, I think mirror or contrast as far as how you kind of feel as a, as a viewer, as an audience member watching the movie, seeing it as you're taking it in. I feel like that's one thing I'll give Edward Norton credit for is that I, I, I loved all the Hulk scenes in the film. I thought they were great. The opening Hulk scene was great. Very authentic. Uh, you know, other than the fact that, like I said, I don't feel like the face looks just like, like it looks like Norton very much and the, or the hair either. Um, but Hulk himself looked pretty damn good. And uh, he was pretty impressive. I just feel like um, Norton brought a different vibe to the Hulk character as an actor that Ruffalo has never gotten to. Like that Ruffalo never touched. Maybe because of like the stories he was put in. Or because of like the the setting or the structure, the way that that uh, that the screenplay was written, and then and then Norton came in and redid it, worked out to where it's a very complete character depiction of Bruce Banner and the Hulk for me in the film. Like it's very well done overall over the entire you know spectrum of the film, and um, I feel like that. Harrison Ford, the fugitive angle type vibe might not be there with Mark Ruffalo, to be honest with you. I don't know. Interesting. How about you, Lord Deathman? I like that sequence. I liked it a lot. You know, it really felt like the filmmakers wanted to give you a tease of the Hulk before you actually got a full reveal. And it borrows a lot. Again, you know, Norton and Leterrier wear their influences from the 70s television show on their sleeves. And unapologetically, there's a moment in that sequence where you see Norton's eyes kind of light up in in this uh, stark kind of silhouette. You just see the eyes and they're turning green, but you never see the full-on transformation. And of course, um, the whole thing that sort of precipitates the the episode is he's being accosted by random toughs. How many times did that happen to Bill Bixby in the 70s show, right? Random Brazilian toughs have come out um, to to assault you to get this transformation to happen. So I just kind of love the way that it had those callbacks. But, um, you know, that, that was one huge selling point for that sequence for me. But the big point you know, where it really, really worked for me is um, what I consider the a highlight of the entire movie, Incredible Hulk. And I think you can't give this man enough praise for really 
you know, saving this film from sort of just falling into kind of blockbuster mediocrity, Tim Roth, like seeing this happen from his point of view, he really sells you on the idea that he just saw something that was incredibly powerful and he's just trying to reconcile it mentally. Like, you know, like he even thinks they're two separate people. He's like, well, Banner kind of just jetted out. And then, and then this thing came like, he's just unable to comprehend it while it's happening. He's still acting reflexively as a soldier would advancing on the situation, trying to get his adversary into a, a compromised position um, and to control the situation. But at the same time, he's he's in an incredible amount of awe later on when you see him talking to Ross. So I, I thought that sequence was really, really well executed and and um, a highlight of the movie. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. I think so, too. So as we proceed, now after his whole rant and transformation, he you know has a huge battle sequence, and we talked about Tim Roth a little bit, and we go further down the movie, and then all of a sudden we see that conversation between Tim Roth and William Hurt, not John Hurt, William Hurt. And uh, and so they, you know, basically William Hurt is explaining to Blonsky, you know, basically what they've been working with, and, you know, Blonsky wants to try it out and learn about it. So we end up, you know, we see that whole operation scene where he's getting injected with the, the material. What was your guys' first reaction when you saw that he was actually starting to become abomination? Start with you, Alexis. First of all, great uh, build-up and early foreshadowing for Captain America with this. Yep. Because that's, it's the super soldiers here, and they talk about the super soldier program. It's clear that they're not doing it right because they're, I think actually one of the big things they talk about is how he doesn't get the Vita rays. And that's part of what really screws him up among other things. But yeah, I really love that scene. I love how well uh, Hurt and Roth have chemistry together. Um, Roth is actually one of my favorite actors. I don't see him in enough stuff, but I love whenever he makes an appearance. He is so much fun. And they did such a great job for that. I wince every time I watch this movie and we see them injecting the needles into the spine. Oh my God. Crunch. Yeah, very cringe. I hate that scene so much. It's like if you people, it's like I already have enough fear of the doctor's office. I don't need this. Um, but I thought it was a really good scene and I love how they're setting up with Abomination. Um, one of the other things, I, I remember a lot of people complaining about Abomination's final look because he doesn't look a lot like how he looks in the comics. Now in the comics, he has more of a lizard-like look and he's got those fins on his head. But the director said he could find no logical reason why the super soldier serum and later the contamination from Hulk's blood mixed in a Blonsky would make that. So he said it makes no sense for him to look like that. But now in the trailer for Shang-Chi, we see he looks a little bit more like that. So I've got this theory that Blonsky's been uh, maybe juicing with some other chemicals since uh, between the Incredible Hulk and the Shang-Chi movie. And that's why he looks more like lizard-like in that movie. I would like to posit that instead of that, that uh, Tim Roth's character is actually part Nemo from the Pixar universe. And so we'll get a crossover of uh, Finding Nemo and being... <laughs> Go sit down, Mark. I'm dying. So, Mark, with that, with that, Mark, what was your reaction to that, that scene? Um, um, just to 
parrot what uh, Alexa said. It's a slow build to finally get him to his final um, Frankenstein's monster form. Um, it's fine. I mean, the best part of Tim Roth's entire character is his interactions, as Alexis was saying, with uh, with Ross. You know, and they set him up as a character. He's like, I'm a fighter. You know, it, there's a character interaction where they're where uh, it's like, well, shouldn't you be a colonel by now? And he's like, nope, I'm a fighter. That's what I do. And he's losing every single round. You know, first he gets um, first he they you know they, when he sees what he is and he gets beaten. You know, this is a guy who they don't take too long to establish this, but it's definitely insinuated. He always gets his man, and this guy, you know, and the Hulk escapes him, and and what a world of wonder that opened up for him, right? And so this, so it's like, okay, well, give me something to combat him with, and I'll get and I'll, and I'll get this guy. So round two, he gets kicked into a tree. You know, and, and here's a guy who probably doesn't lose easily uh, or take it real well when he does. He's a, he seems like a flip the Monopoly board kind of fella. So, <laughs> so as they're ladling him up, you know, in his gravel bones and just throwing him onto the gurney um, in a sack, he's like, well, that worked poorly. You know, but I'm not losing the third time to this guy. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, look, people, you know, alpha males, people who are you know soldiers and law enforcement and professional fighters and stuff um don't take losing well and don't take losing that way you know that way well you know like i said just he would have been dead had he not had the super uh the serum in him um and so it's like at this point it's just anything to be better than the hulk you know and and that's what i love about the final fight is I was watching it today, and I was like, the way they frame this fight, I mean, obviously, we need to have, like, <laughs> the big Marvel uh, fight at the end of the movie that, you know, that people now make fun of. But here, I'm kind of, I'm sitting there, and I'm wondering, like, why did they have a fight at the end? Because Tim Roth's character needed to prove he was the best after losing so many times in a row. Um, and I kind of like that, you know. We're eventually going to get to a purple alien who wants, who wants to reset the universe in his own image. It's nice that in the beginning we were starting off with, I just want to win a fight just once, you know? Um, you know, if this were Pixar, he would have sat down in a chair and said, who wants to watch me eat a big sandwich? Here it's who wants to watch me beat up a monster. That was for you, Alexis. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. Uh, how about you, Arch? What was your thoughts on that, the beginning to Balanza becoming the abomination? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, so two things. One, uh, just kind of agreeing that it was really just as a, as a person who's played sports and just as like competitive in nature, like I, you know, it's it's about like finding a way to win, right? And 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 he kept getting introduced to these ideas, and he's like, no, I need to do this to win. It's a strategy for him, really, when it all comes down to it. But the bigger thing for me about it is 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 the horror element that's like throughout this film. The whole the music, the um, some a lot of the imagery, it's 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 very horrific. And Blonsky's a guy who just watched in that previous scene we were talking about with the Hulk first transformed. He's watching his own soldiers get run over by giant bats of this soda and just presumably crushed. And and he's seen a lot of horrific stuff. And by the end of the film, he's 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 willing to do that to himself. He's like slamming cab drivers into like groups of military people and obliterating them and it's, it's just there's just this really deep horror vibe to it and um it, you see that in this transformation too like you know when especially that scene in the bathroom when you start seeing his his spine start to grow a little bit it's Ugh. yeah I, I, I don't know how they did the effects i mean i guess it's cgi or whatever but you can see his body when he's shirtless like transformed throughout the thing he, he starts becoming more frail and tiny and muscular that was actually practical effects 
Yeah, no, it was. That was like something to put on him to do with that. Yeah, yeah, he suddenly becomes just so sinewy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really icky <laughs> yeah. the entire time, and capped off with what Alexis mentioned earlier with that scene where they've got the really creepy, sinister, you know, backroom doctor kind of dude who's like, "Hey, this is gonna hurt, man." And he's like really creepy about it. And then he's like, you hear the bone crack as they're like jarring it in. So like the whole thing was like a big like horror vibe build to me. So that that was that was the main takeaway I'd I'd, I'd say for that. Nice. How about you, Jeff? What did you think about that, Blonsky? I, I loved it. I, I felt like it was a com- a really compelling source of uh, entertainment in the film that was authentic and well done um, by an actor who obviously brought his a game to the film and a very small cast um, with very few secondary characters. He had to deliver. And I really wonder um, if, if a lesser actor maybe had stepped in those shoes, um, if, if they would not have been able to pull off and be as effective as, as he did as, as Tim Roth did in the film, because he's very authentic and believable throughout his entire um, arc in the entire, in the movie, he's very believable, very grounded. Um, you know, I mean, he's like that in all his movies. He's like, he's like that as an actor in general, but, um, I mean, really like he really, he keeps the movie together in a way. Like he makes it gel more than Edward Norton for me. He sells his, his and buys into it and is believable doing what he's doing to where, I mean, they're saying that it's going to be him in the She-Hulk series. Like, I don't know if he's just going to be, like, doing the voice of the Abomination or whatever. But they're saying it's going to be Tim Roth in the She-Hulk series. So, I'm looking forward to it. Like, I'm pumped, I mean, uh, to see it. Like, I mean, I'm wondering how they're going to work the Abomination into the She-Hulk series. Like, how it's going to work. with what what, It's it's supposed to be, like, a legal comedy. So, you know, it's interesting. But, basically... I just loved it. I thought that um, it was a great actor uh, doing a great job at playing his role. And when it comes to the actual showdown at the end, um, again, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be like, uh, like, I don't want to be too pro Incredible Hulk, but it was believable for me. It was authentic. Like the, the, the showdown with, with Hulk and Abomination was authentic to me. Whether it was like CGI or like, you know, real real prosthetics or whatever the hell it was, it looked authentic to me. It was good. I believed it. When when the abomination grabbed onto the helicopter and got and got dragged for like those miles or whatever, and then he fell on the building. When he when he fell on the building and like collapsed into it and, and like destroyed it, it looked real to me. So, you know, that's it for me. I mean, I just felt like uh you know, Tim Roth, I think if you if you didn't have Tim Roth in that role, it could have gone in a different direction that was kind of, to borrow uh, somebody else's words, janky. Gotcha, gotcha. How about you, Lord Deathman? Uh, you know, as I've said before, I think for me, Tim Roth was probably the shining star of the entire movie. He's deeply invested in the role, and he creates a character that has a very clear and understandable motivation. I just love the whole idea from the writing standpoint that you're you're a soldier and you're you know your prime is kind of over 
but you're, you're not interested in command. Administration is not your thing. You want to be where the action is. But at, at 39, you know, you're, you're falling apart physically. And it seemed like, um, you know, for his kind of daredevil mentality, no pun intended, that this sort of option that's presented to him by Ross feels like a decision that 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 someone like in his position would make. So, you know, as for his transformation, it's not just the physical part of it, but also the psychological piece, you know, uh, you know, the someone mentioned earlier about the lack of Vita rays and and in the comic books, when you go through the whole super soldier uh, procedure and you don't get the Vita rays part of the treatment, it kind of induces a kind of psychosis. So whatever your deal was before you got transformed becomes magnified. And Tim Roth just does a brilliant job of portraying that as an actor. He wants more action. He wants to face more lethal adversaries. His toe-to-toe with the Hulk, I mean, when he's getting that injection in his spine, his anger and surprise at that happening to him in those, like, four seconds was more anger that than Edward Norton registered in the entire film. That's how good, uh, you, you know, Tim Roth is as Blonsky. And I really stand by that. Um, th- that's really all I have to say about that. But I will add one note about, you know, the choice that they made um, that I disagreed with and that they insinuated the Hulk into the Weapon Plus program, meaning that if you extrapolate on that idea in the MCU, the Hulk is a super soldier, right? He's he's from the lineage of, of that program. And I think um, while I've, acclimated to that decision over time as a creative decision. And it was really brilliant that Kevin did it because it it helped unify the universe, make it feel more cohesive. But at the same time, he kind of neutered the Hulk mythology in a way that I think was a missed opportunity. So in the comic books, the Hulk has this very rich mythology surrounding the Gamma Bomb and him being a product of experimentation and, and splitting the atom and and doing these things that that you know like Oppenheimer there's these really rich metaphors that Kirby and Stan were trying to put beneath the surface of the Hulk and when you look at Ang Lee's Hulk not to bring that up you know for the the the, the 100th billionth time but there are scenes in that that movie where the Hulk is kind of drawn back to the site of his birth the gamma bomb you, you know he he can't help but go back to that place of the trauma and the transformation of first being exposed there. And Ang Lee put a lot of those little Easter eggs into it. You see mushroom clouds and and things that look like nuclear impacts. But by kind of just like putting Hulk into the super soldier program, it's like, well, you know, he, he was he he had the best of intentions, didn't realize he was working on a weapon. Um and and you know, and so it goes. Uh, you know, Ross is after him and and trying to weaponize this thing. So uh, again, it, uh, it taking you from A to B in a very logical way, but um, just as an aside, I, I feel it kind of um, took away from the richness of the characters as we understand him in the source material. Can I uh, piggyback on that? Because I totally get where you're coming from. I, and I think as an isolated thing, if you want to do an editorial movie on, you know, your thoughts on the atom bomb and, you know, the, the age of... Uh, um, WMDs and all of that. I think the Hulk movie is fine to do that with, but as a part of, as a chapter in an interconnected universe made in 2008 for the audience that we have going to movies today, um, I'm not entirely sure a metaphor for the atom bomb resonates with 
with the population, I think people were more readily able to believe that this was a part of uh, the super soldier program one, cause it relates to what they were already doing with these series of movies and two, um, you know, and, and I, I can totally market. I can totally right. understand what you're saying. It's mm-hmm. a bygone metaphor, a product yeah. of the sixties where we were really afraid of that. But I do think that you could have modernized that metaphor in a way, you know, I'm not saying that these characters have to be walking statements for the fo- foibles of, of mankind, mm-hmm. but it's an interesting aspect of the Hulk that I've always liked. Um, you know, th- there are things about the Hulk that, y- you know, are stock and part of the mythology. There's Rick Jones <laughs> and his harmonica. There, there's, the, the, you know, the bomb and, and, and all of these things. If you made a solo Hulk movie today, I'm like, you know, where what are you going to replace that sort of th- those those things with you know it was a, it was the same argument with the fantastic four and i'm, I'm not trying to derail your podcast i'll shut up after this i, I promise but um it was the same fantastic. argument that people had with you're good mark um, <laughs> <laughs> um it's the same argument people had with the fantastic four movies where um you know that was a metaphor for space exploration and all of that you know and they were uh irradiated up in space but when they did the movie it was something completely different and everyone was like hey use the thing from the 60s and it was like no man it's like these are in the early 2000s let's let's update this a bit and so it's like i on the one hand i'm with you let's find a way to take you know the the roots of this thing and and still be true to that, but somehow modernize so people right. can get it. But I think there's also this urge to be like, no, 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 no. The stuff written in the 60s was for that audience of the 60s. Let's let's do something for the audience of the 2000s. So, yeah, and 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 again, I'm agreeing with you. I will say on that Fantastic Four piece, the the foundations and the and the surrounding environment of the Fantastic Four is you're trying to build it around the space race. Uh, today, if you were updating that, it would be the commercialization of the space race. And, and I think you could make that relevant for the Fantastic Four. Bezos, all these guys are trying to head up into space. How can you, you, you know, sort of put that around the Fantastic Four? I, I think it can be done. Uh, but end of end of rant. Nice, you had nice, to bring, nice. I was going to say, you had to bring up the atom bomb. Now I've got those jingles from the uh, PSA stuck in my head. Duck and cover, <laughs> duck and cover. <laughs> All right, so Jeff, you have a couple of trailers you like to show right now, sir. I do, most definitely. I wish that Jennifer Connelly was in them, but she is not. <laughs> you can. I've been alone for a long time. Not because I want to be. But because until I solve this problem, I have to be. Your target is a fugitive from the U.S. government who stole military secrets. This is a location. Snatch and grab only. Live capture. Take him. As far as I'm concerned, that man's whole body is property of the U.S. Army. You have to get as far away from me as you can. Go! There are aspects of my personality that I can't control. Target is in the overpass. And when I lose control, it's very dangerous to be around me.
Cover me. Halsey's going in. Pull back now. Is that it? Is that all you got? They want it as a weapon. And if we let it go, we will never get it back. So if you're taking another crack at him, I want in. I could probably arrange something like that. You ready? Yeah. That's even the playing field. Telling me another one of your bioforce experiments has gone haywire. There's only one thing that can fight that. It's in me. got a problem there are aspects of my personality that i can't control see so you shrink it's a little bit more complicated than that bruce trust me when i tell you i've heard them all not this one we've never seen anything even close to your levels of exposure that you survived an event like that, it's beyond my comprehension. I don't want to control it. I want to get rid of it. As far as I'm concerned, that man's whole body is property of the U.S. Army. They want it as a weapon. If we let it go, we will never get it back. There's only one thing that can fight that, it's in me. Maybe if I can control it, I can use it. Thanks for those trailers, Jeff. What did you uh, have to say, Alexis? <clears throat> Firstly, going back to what we were talking about with the casting, I still stand by that uh, Lord Death was right that Sam Elliott makes a better Thunderbolt Ross. But now that I think about it more, I think that William Hurt, not John Hurt, while I don't think he's as good as a Thumb Thunderbolt Ross, I see him much better as Secretary of State thunderbolt ross i just realized i don't think i could see sam elliott as well in civil war 
and Avengers Endgame and Black Widow in the role that he's created. I, I don't know. I, I just feel like I see William Hurt much better playing both military and politician. I do not see Sam Elliott playing politician. And the other thing I wanted to bring up, please tell me I'm not the only one that wants to see them put the leader in so we can get Tim Blake Nelson back. <laughs> It's like you, you cannot waste Tim Blake Nelson. He's an awesome actor. I want to well, see him. I come want back. the leader, but but I don't think I want Tim. <laughs> it was one of my great frustrations with this movie. Like there's a lot that I like about it, but Alexis's point about they have so many of the Hulk's rogues gallery in the goddamn movie, and you never see him again. Mm-hmm. And they even allude to, you know, like I mean, they don't do anything with Ty Burrell. He's sort of Doc Samson and name only, which is a real popular thing they do in these movies. It's like, uh, fuck, that's, that character is that character from the comic. Are they going to look like him? No! But that's fine. Um, but yeah, Sam Stern. As that was the, a bad uh, casting choice. That is <laughs> well, not Doc uh, Samson. Well, again, I, and I love Doc Samson and name right only. Um, but yeah, I, it is one of my great frustrations that they alluded to the leader. They had the whole blood bleeding into uh, into his skull, and you even start to see it expand. And he's happy as a pig and shit. And I don't know. I, I would have even settled for as Tony's walking, you know, through the raft in Civil War. You know, just just see all of the old villains just all kind of hanging out there. Like, nope. We built this giant prison in the middle of the Indian Ocean, and there's nobody in it except Hawkeye. Oh, you, know? you want him to go full Amazing Spider-Man 2 on that, huh? <laughs> yes. I, I want him to go full Oz. I'll take a whole series of just, of just the Rose Gallery in prison. I can't actually believe you haven't mentioned the casting of the Wire cameo in this. Well, hi, I'm Omar, and then he runs away. You know, <laughs> like I, I honestly, if they're gonna do, if you're gonna put Michael K. Williams in the movie, he has to turn and be like, "Every man must have a code," and then run off. <laughs> or the weird Mister McGee reporter kid. Yeah, like what was right. that? <laughs> Very interesting. Yep. Very interesting, guys. So uh, Vincent Van Spock is uh, giving us a couple more wonderful comments here. Uh, he has said, "If you could redo the Incredible Hulk with any actors, who would you pick and why?" Um, we don't have to go deep in detail if just each person to say two characters or actors you would think would be better than what they have in it right now. Just say so and we'll, and then move on to the next person and we'll do it like that. So why don't you start off, Jeff? Right off the bat, Amy Adams as Lois Lane to bring in the, to bring the DCU in and actually like make them (laughs) relevant here for a minute. Amy Adams as Lois Lane is actually like cogent and authentic and believable to me. I don't, she's just such a great actress that she is to me versus Liv Tyler. There's no comparison. Like uh, the, again, like I said, the whole like Betty Ross relationship deal in like the incredible Hulk film is not well done. It kind of falls apart a little bit for me. It doesn't really seem very tangible. Um, he tries to like hit it and he, and he can't, you know what I mean? And like, that's pretty pathetic as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, I mean, um, again, at that point, uh, I got to point out, you know, the Amy Adams factor as Lois Lane. And then I guess as far as uh, the casting goes, uh, geez, I, you know what? Honestly, I would, I don't think I would change anything else. Um, I love William Hurt as Thunderbolt Ross. I do. I think he's very transcendent. He's been very effective in what he's done what he's brought to the role from film to film and everything. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, besides that, um, 
I wouldn't change anything else. I don't. I. I mean, I. I would not have. I wouldn't have picked a different actor than Edward Norton to play the Incredible Hulk in this twenty-eight film. Okay, how about you, Mark? I mean, the casting's fine to me. Um, I've never really thought about who would have made, played a better role in anything. But gun to my head, since you asked the question, um, I'm going to go with Louis Black as Bruce Banner. Just picturing him go. as anger from inside out now. Sorry. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. How about you, uh, Arch? Uh, you know, I don't do a lot of casting stuff, so I, I don't make predictions or anything like that because I'm mostly I'm a, I'm a James Bond fan, and uh, I've mentioned that before, and everybody with a British accent always gets cast as James Bond. So I don't know. I just, things happen, so I'm not going to predict anything. But I, I really love some of the performances here. I Especially, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend Liv here because I think there's a couple of key moments. One where um, that restaurant scene where she's looking and they stage it, and you can tell Stan, the, the restaurant owner, is, is knows that Bruce is in the back and he's like nervous making Liv dinner here and knowing that, that, uh, that Norton might walk through the door at any time and that he does. And then the whole, when they pause everything and you get this real sense that she is like, it doesn't matter what else is going on in the world. She has seen Bruce back. I think that was a really powerful moment and it felt really authentic and it felt like, uh, I don't know. It just, it just felt like the reaction of, 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 of a real, a real woman or a real person. I, I, and more generally like that nothing else matters. I've seen this person that I just really have a connection with. And I thought, I thought that was fantastic. I actually thought I mentioned it earlier and it came off a little more humorous, but I, I really thought the, the intimate moment that they had together was really authentic. I, I, I don't know, like they, they just had this connection and they really wanted to be with each other and it, it wasn't working out. And I just felt that, I, I thought that felt really real and really genuine between between two people. So I don't know, I thought the acting was really good here. I, I don't think I would change much. Uh, I mean, I agree with the Doc Sampson idea. It, it was a little in name only there and I don't know if they're ever gonna go back to him. I mean, they, they've done recastings before. So if they ever wanted to bring Doc in, I wouldn't care if they brought in a new actor or something at this point. So I, yeah, I felt everybody else was, was great. So there you go. How about you, Lord Deathman? I think the cast of The Incredible Hulk was great. Honestly, each one of the performers is probably the best in their class in terms of their ability as an actor. My problems with the cast were really, you know, certain moments where they have to relate to each other. So, you know, it, back to Hulk 2003, I felt the the Betty Ross and Thunderbolt Ross relationship felt more like a father-daughter relationship and had a bit more tension whereas in the incredible hulk i felt like that same relationship was like uh, you know i have a daughter but my my main job in this film is to move her aside it's like guys take her away and, and you know he, he never really shows a lot of concern for his daughter um except for that moment i think where the hulk where it seems like that helicopter is going to to, to maul her then he's like, oh, my God, stop firing when you were the dude like not but a mere five seconds ago that ordered people to fire. Now it's like that was a bad idea. But the Hulk manages to save her. So, you, you know, I think the whole cast was really great and they're really capable actors. I just don't think that the, you know, the depth of, of the relationships were there in some cases. But there were relationships that worked really well. Like I said, I like the Tim, the Tim Roth and um, William hurt um, chemistry a lot in terms of soldiers, you know, interacting with each other and really talking about the ins and outs of their professions and, and some of the hazards. Nice, nice. How about you, Alexis? Do you think they should have recast it or stayed the same? 
I can't really find any problems with any of the cast. I thought they all did a phenomenal job. I mean, we're sitting here talking about whether or not some of the actors from Ang Lee's film would have been better in the role. And maybe, hypothetically, I would have liked to have seen some of those actors in this role. Um, I do personally think Edward Norton is far better than Eric Bana as Bruce. But I also think Mark Ruffalo is better than both of them combined. So maybe it's a case of... We get the Incredible Hulk with Mark Ruffalo taking over and maybe with Jennifer Connelly. Again, she's a great actress, so maybe she just got bad direction from Ang Lee. I don't know. But maybe that could have worked. But for what we got, I thought it was quite enjoyable. Very much so. Very much so. So as we move on with the movie, so, you know, we already established the Mil Blonsky. And then we go to the giant scene that happens that we've been talking about throughout the whole podcast tonight. You know, finally we get to see Hulk in action. He's fighting all these tanks and all that kind of stuff. And Mil Blonsky shows what the shots he's already been given basically gives him. He gets smashed up pretty bad. They think he's dead. Then we move on, you know. Hulk saves Betty, and they go flying off, and then all of a sudden they're on the run, and we get that wonderful love scene that everyone keeps talking about and how, you know, Norton can't seal the deal, and, you know, we go on, and and that all happens, and finally we get to meet Mr. Blue, and who is played by the great Tim Blake Nelson. Now, I know a lot of people don't agree with him being, you know, the could-be leader, but, you know, at the same time, I think he still did a good job at the part he was given for what he was supposed to be at the time. So I'm wondering what you guys think of Tim Blake Nelson's, you know, character in that scene where they're talking and he's basically explaining to Bruce, you know, you know, all these crazy variables from all the testing they've done together over the over the time that they got to. So what are you guys' thoughts on Tim Blake Nelson? Let's start it with you, Arch. I was trying to formulate what I was thinking about him, but he's he's clearly like this uber nerd scientist guy that's not uh, you know not socially adept in, in, in every single way. He's he's more focused on his work. Um, I mean, I, I really enjoyed his 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 quirkiness to it. I, I think the scene with uh, where uh, uh, Emil actually winds up pointing a gun in his face and his reaction is just out. Now, what possibly could I have done? Do like you know it's it's, it's probably Probably not how most people would react, but I think that's within his character, and he's just—he's just this weird, socially awkward, like evaluates things on a on an analytical level that most people don't sort of guy. And I think he played that that really super well. Like, it, there's certain things that he doesn't get. Like, it's it's obvious that he doesn't get the seriousness that uh, Bruce views this whole situation with he's like oh no but you know i used your blood to make other things because i have to do all these experiments and like his mind is just you can like see the the formulas and stuff like circling around his head constantly about what all he's going to do with these things but bruce is just like no man you got to burn all this so like i don't know i, I really loved his character he was quirky he was uh very analytical I, I i thought he was fun i thought he was great i I, I don't know if I would like to see him come back as the leader, but I, I would not in any way be opposed to that. I think it'd be cool to see Tim Blake pop back up and see what different route he could do. And it'd be it'd be interesting to see him come back and play a completely different version of this character. Um, we'll see how it goes. I don't know if they're ever going to do that, but they've started bringing back older characters, so maybe. True, true. How about you, Alexis? What did you think about Tim? Tim Blake Nelson is an actor who I don't think I've ever seen him give a bad performance. He is just amazing and he's such a great character actor i love how well he's able to disappear into so many roles mark uh we were talking about um uh the watchman series and how good he was in that 
you know, that was such a great role. And yeah, I loved, he's got a fun quirkiness to it. Uh, you get the idea. I, I think he was a professor because he mentioned someone that's like, damn, grad students or something. I love how he freaking kicks the machine to get it to work and falls down. And yeah, he's not really thinking uh, like as what's going on is dangerous. He sees all this potential and you feel the excitement in his voice. He's like, we can cure diseases. We could cure cancer. We could, we could just, he really feels like he is on the verge of doing something so great for the world. And he cannot understand why um, Banner is so against it. You know, he, he, and he's not seeing this for dollar signs. He's not, if we're going to be so rich, he genuinely wants to help. He wants, he is a scientist who got into science because he wants to progress the world. He wants things to get better. And that's all he sees with this. And I thought he did a really good job of that. And yeah, I love some of the delivery of the lines. Like when Blonsky, again, I love what you're right. The line where he's like, he points the gun. So he's like, now what possible reason? Yeah. But even when he punches out the other soldier, he's like, what is with you and hitting people? <laughs> again, great line, great delivery. Very much so. How about you, Mark? What did you think about Tim Blake Nelson? Uh, first of all, I loved him. But uh, two things. One. If you should ever have the misfortune of ever being sick and having to be under a doctor's care and they don't know quite what to do with you, that is exactly how they deliver those lines. I mean, like, <laughs> when Sam Stern's like, we could do this or we could do this, and he's like, I don't know what's going to happen. Wow, man, I've been there. Um, <laughs> I have had a doctor say that to me. Um, I love that. And it's like, it's so true. It's, you know, he's trying to explain to him, like, we are in a really murky area with science and medicine. And I haven't the faintest clue where this is all taking us, but boy, am I excited to go on that ride with you. I loved it. I, th I think it's great. Um, very much captures the spirit of somebody who would really in a dramatic way, who would be in that position. The other thing is I know everyone's like, eh, can we get a different actor for this guy? He's a little goofy in this role. I mean, they've got Patton Oswald as Modoc. Can we not get a hulked out hero storyline with uh, Tim Blake Nelson and Patton Oswald as the leader in Modoc? I think they'd be great together. I think that they, they, that's the movie I need to see. Hulked out heroes. To answer the guy's question from earlier to like what storyline would you want to see done? That's the one with Tim Blake Nelson and Patton Oswald as the leader in Modoc. Just don't get the writers from the Modoc TV series, right, Mark? <laughs> yeah, Mark and I had Mark and I had to review that and we were talking about how I fell asleep during the final episode and how it was just like can we get it's like so who thought it was a brilliant idea to make the show with no likable characters? Yeah. We're not gonna have Pat Oswald write it either. He can just act in it. I like the show, so I, I don't feel the same sentiment, but anyways. Lord <laughs> Deathman, what did you think about uh what we've been talking about? Tim Blake Nelson was fantastic as Mr. Blue. Uh, I enjoyed his performance and I think it was really nuanced. I think it was pretty subtle. And, you know, amongst the group that I saw the movie with, I saw the leader coming when, when he kind of starts, when you start to get the feeling and, and Nelson does it very subtly that he's not an on the level scientist, that there's a bit of, unethicalness to the way he's willing to operate and he unreels that he unspools it kind of very slowly not in a sort of big bang you know um i i want to give the whole world your blood and turn them into hulk creatures just for fun so i can see what happens but 
you know, little by little, you, you know, and even Norton kind of responds to it in a way that feels organic. Like, you know, um, I guess corresponding with this dude on the internet is, is kind of not the same as like <laughs> being in the same room with him. He's got some wild ideas here, but I, I kind of felt it. And, and as a fan, when you know that this is the leader, like I wasn't really paying attention to the character's name, but before they kind of do the reveal, I'm like, yeah, this is Samuel Stearns. They're, they're about to introduce the leader. And when that happens for a fan of the source material, you, you can't really describe the excitement you kind of feel. But um, I have to say all the good work that he did as the character, you know, really got like blown away when the blood kind of drips on his head and, and he has that incredibly goofy look on his face. I just, I just found it completely unforgivable. It was like, is something <laughs> happening below the belt that we're just not privy to? Uh, you know, it, it, it was just such a, I was like, it was that was a bad choice. There, there, there had to have been another take where we didn't get that look on his face, which is, is the only angst I have towards him sort of coming back as the leader. But, you know, up until that point, I, I have to admit that he's an incredibly talented actor and he did a great job in the role and he plays off of Norton and um, Roth extremely well. And I just love the fact that he's this kind of amoral, unethical scientist who's really interested in, things on an intellectual plane and not necessarily how they fit into, you know, a moral framework. There, Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. I think Tim, Tim Blake Nelson did a great job at what he was given for the film. And I think that, you know, in the future, if they do decide to bring in the leader, finally, you know, I mean, he could replay him or they could cast a whole new character. Yes, most definitely. Um, but I think it'd be funny to see him play the leader officially just because, you know, they sneak peeked it in this film already for us and give us that little snippet. Because I remember seeing this in theaters and that when that happened, I'm like, is that reference to something? Because I wasn't huge into the comics at the time. So when I finally found out that that was supposed to be a reference to the leader, I was kind of like, oh, let's hope I'm hoping they actually show this. I'm like, that's really freaking cool. So I was I thought that was a really cool little reference. And, you know, like Lord Deathman says, is there something going on below the belt when he gives that goofy smile? I would agree there. I would agree, most definitely. Uh, so, you know, moving on. It was a weird choice. Yes. Yeah, Archie, keep doing that. You're going to make me just lose it into my mic, okay? <laughs> so as we move on, yes, we, you know, after, you know, Norton does his transformation and he's able to turn back into himself with the serum, then all of a sudden they sh the military show up, Roth is there, and he basically ends up becoming the abomination and we all get a good look at him and he's very different looking. Uh, and of course he's not comic book accurate as a lot of people will say, but this final battle I think is an amazing battle. And I want each of your guys' takes on this battle and what you thought, what you expected and how different it was from what ended up being shown in the actual film. So let's start off with you, Alexis. Thought the battle was really good. They took advantage of everything they could uh, with the Harlem setting. I love that we got to see the uh, the thunderclap, uh, one of Hulk's signature attacks from the comic book. I love when he takes apart the, the the cop car and essentially uses them as boxing gloves. That looked really cool. And I, again, I thought it was really good how well. You know, these two actors were together, not to mention, apparently uh, the whole thing was filmed with motion capture uh, so they could actually get the actors to really get into their performance and let 
make the fight a lot more believable. And I love that. This was a really, really good fight scene that not going to lie a lot of i think we can agree a lot of marvel movies have gotten a little too cushy with the cgi for their final fight scenes black panther but this one seemed a little bit more i don't know i want to say realistic but less less hokey cgi ish and i think part of that was using more realistic settings having also using uh cutting back with uh thunderbolt ross and uh betty who were there in the fight as well and using them to kind of bring it back a little bit from the uncanny valley as it were uh overall i just thought it was a really good fight yes i would agree very much so how about you mark what did you think about that final battle sequence oh i mean it's marvel usually does a really good job um with their uh their final fight scenes there were some they this is where marvel really uh does their best work in terms of they know very specific um, looks and feels and images from the comics, and they make sure they put them in their shows and their movies. So even if the if the whole thing is hot garbage, like I've I've heard you guys reviewed Captain Marvel, I know you all hate it. It's fine, um, but there, <laughs> I see you. Um, but there were things from the comic books that if people for those who loved those particular Captain Marvel comics got to see those images play out on the screen. And for people who I'm always going to like take up for the people who are not like big comic book or even big movie people. They're just, you know, casuals that go out for a good time. Those are fun, great, feel good images you see on screen. So to go back to the Hulk and the abomination, there were some there were some right out of right off the page images of the Hulk and abomination that were captured on screen that are nice, feel good moments for the audience. Um, It's a cool fight. Um, if you haven't seen twenty of these movies, and you've only, you know, and you're only, you're only seeing this uh, second Marvel movie, or even only seeing it for the first time because you haven't seen Iron Man just yet, um, you know, it's one of the certainly it's one of the better ones I've seen on screen. It's really simple, you know. It's just two muscly dudes, you know, having a fist fight in the street. Um, they just look the way that they they look, but uh, you know, overall, it was pretty cool. Nice. Thank you. How about you, Arch? What was your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to say just tie this into to Marvel fights in general. They're usually about the narrative. Like, I could name a lot of other movies where the where fight scenes are really just people punching each other until it finally just stops and there's really nothing that happened. But but Marvel, Marvel fight scenes, by and large, are, are, are really, like, uh, debates about, like, what is going on and who's correct and... And, and it's not just between the two primary uh, characters here. It's not just Emil Blonsky versus Bruce Banner, although Emil's clearly trying to prove something here. But it, it first starts off with a you know uh, Edward Norton uh, falling out of or Bruce falling out of the helicopter, and the the precipitating event to that was Ross finally realizing he'd kind of fed up. Like he was like, oh shit, uh, you know, Abomination's running around, and I know I'm responsible for that. So it's about that, and then and then later it's 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 uh, you know uh, also about like the relationship between him and Betty, and uh, there's there you know there's all kinds of character stuff going on here as well. It's not purely all about that. A lot of it's like smashing stuff up is up too. But you know there's a lot of character work going on kind of uh, surrounding the fight scene, which I think is what fight scenes should always be about. If you just have a fight scene where it's just people smashing each other until somebody wins, then I think you're kind of wasting your time. So I I really appreciated the character work as well. Nice. Uh, Jeff, so what did you think about the final battle sequence in The Incredible Hulk? 
in contrast to Arch, I feel like I, I found myself detached a little bit from the rest of the story when they got to the fight scene. I didn't find the, the relationship with um, Bruce and Betty and Thunderbolt like ta- like like plausible to me. Like it, it really didn't go over that well to me to where I I incorporated it into the fight scene. To me, the fight scene was just a fight scene. And it was great as, as it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, let's be honest here. This film was the second film of phase one. And other than the Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. Connection there in the, in the, uh, you know, uh, pre credits or whatever. Um, there were no, there was no other tie in for them to make in the MCU. Like, like with so many of these other films in the MCU where, you know, they did their thing then at the same time, connected, you know, with another character or brought, you know, this character in or whatever. Um, they didn't have that with the Incredible Hulk. It had to be a standalone film. They had to like make it, they had to make it work off what they had. And that fight scene is very effective. I mean, it's, it's like I said before, it was very authentic to me. The special effects were, were well done. I felt like it was very realistic. And what I took out of it, me personally, was the fact that the abomination is obviously stronger than the Hulk. Like he is. Like he, he's obviously stronger physically than the Hulk is. He's like beating his ass, you know, picking him up and everything and whatnot and everything. And the Hulk is like struggling to fight him. So, you know, like at that point, it makes me wonder how the abomination is going to play in the MCU now. Like, when he when he when they drop him into the She Hulk series, what kind of role are they going to put him in? How's how's that going to fight She Hulk? Like, you know, how's he going to? What's it going to be like with him and Shang Chi? You know, like I mean, I can, like he's so powerful. I can't imagine him fighting Wong, and it, and it working out well for Wong. But my main thing with the whole fight scene was just that. How the hell? Hulk just left Abomination laying there like half knocked out or whatever after he choked him out. How did like Ross's like people or whatever, or the military arrest and apprehend the Abomination and like immobilize him to take him to like the raft and everything. Like when he's like awake and everything, he's not a, a, like anybody you want to, you want to mess around with. So yeah, like same, yeah. same way they got uh, King Kong off the Island Everyone lifted with their legs. <laughs> Zip Pretty much. Zip tie. Pretty much. Uh, Lord Deathman, your thoughts, please. I enjoyed that battle. And I have to say, I agree with a lot of Jeff's comments about at this particular point, this fight, I don't think Marvel sort of has the formula down pat at this moment in the, in the life of the MCU. So it isn't quite as closely tied to the narrative of the story. It's, it's really a fight that's really satisfying. I thought it was, excellently choreographed and uh you know the thunder has already been stolen because someone already mentioned the clap and using you know breaking that car in half the way the hulk did to use them as gloves awesome you know pieces of action and choreography in the fight really creative and you know i was i was kind of turning my brain off when i first saw this feeling really satisfied that i'm getting my payday as far as the 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 action piece goes for a hulk movie 
And I was like, but this, this, you know, you know, it's not conveying a lot in terms of story. But then they did something that I thought really bought me back into it in terms of making a character choice when the abomination actually speaks, which um, seems like it, it's, it's not really a big deal. But it, it totally shows you the difference, the contrast between these two titans and that the abomination, um, you know, is 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 retaining his intellect in in this confrontation he is you know fully conscious and present and making these choices to be super sadistic and violent whereas on on the hulk's side of the spectrum he's trying to repress that he doesn't have a huge amount of intellect to work with in this battle so he's using a lot of brute strength whereas the abomination is using much more he's more tactical in in terms of the fight and, and surgical in terms of the, his applications of force and violence but i totally enjoyed it and again it feels like this prototypical moment for mcu films where again the the formula isn't like perfect in in, in terms of how they've executed it in recent times but it certainly sets up a framework or a template that that they would refine over time and um, yeah, I, I just thought overall it was a really, really satisfying fight and a way to, to end the movie. Completely agree, Lord Deathman. Completely agree. So at this point, Miss Alexis here is needs to bow out at the time. We thank you and appreciate for coming on by. Thank you for discussing The Incredible Hulk with us. And uh, like we said before, you can find her in many different places. Uh, you can find her, uh, of course, doing the podcast with uh, Mr. Mark... Uh, I, I can never say Radulich. Um uh, and uh, on their podcast, and you can also find her, uh, and like I said, in many great places, her jewelry company and so forth. So we want to thank you, Alexis, and you have a great evening. Thanks a lot, guys. Mark, talk to you tomorrow night to discuss old and uh, sandcastles. All right. Good night, gentlemen. Good night. All right, Alexis. All right. And Arch, hopefully see you uh, next week in Orlando. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love it down there. So it's, it'll be great. <laughs> All right. See you guys later. Have a good night. All right. So at this point, uh, since we're at the end of the film, we would like to change to a new little segment that we're going to be doing. Uh, and talking about the uh, Netflix original uh, TV series, Marvel uh, Netflix, amazing Daredevil series. And we're going to talk about season one a little bit here just to end the show with. It's going to be fun and lots. Uh, Mr. Jeff, if you've got the trailer ready, we'd like to see that, sir. I can definitely make that happen for you, my brother. I can always play Daredevil. When I was a kid, I used to dream what it would be like to live somewhere far away from Hell's Kitchen. But I realized the city was a part of me. It was in my blood. And I would do anything to make it a better place. Good and evil. Sometimes the difference between the two is a sharp line. Sometimes it's a blur. Sometimes we have to do things outside of the law. We're gonna make a difference. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but we are. 
You're blind, but you see so much. I hear things. You know what they call stuff like that? Gifts. I'm gonna train you. Use it. There are other ways to see. Still are left behind. I don't see the city anymore. Each breath you take is mine. There's only dark corners. I'll keep you safe, Karen. I have to be the man this city needs. What are you gonna do? Whatever it takes. We fly every night for something. When the sun sets, we're both the same. You and I have a lot in common. We're nothing alike. We can't go back for nothing. Say what you need, say everything. Another man's evil does not make you good. I respect your conviction. The lone man thinks he can make a difference. This darkness is the light. I'm just trying to make my city a better place. Maybe if he had an iron suit or a magic hammer. That would explain why you keep getting your asses handed to you. kitchen is about to explode. donated more than your fair share. The city needs him. I need to take care of the scum that killed my family. People don't have to die. You hit them and they get back up. I hit them and they stay down. Why are you doing this? Because I think you're a half measure. I think you're a man who can't finish the job. I think that you're a coward. You know you're one bad day away from being me. Electra. Hello, Matthew.
Whoa. Whoa, that was awesome. Yo. Great trailers there, great trailers. So season one was a very interesting season to begin with. I mean, it was a great kind of like reintroduction to Daredevil, kind of an introduction to Kingpin. Uh, you get an interesting kind of like different take on the Daredevil versus like say if you watch the Daredevil film with Ben Affleck back in 2002, uh, you know, 2003. I definitely think the director cut of that was a lot better than the PG-13 cut they put out. But at the same time, I thought it was kind of interesting just what this season did. I mean, from the the action sequences to the gore in this in this series, I was blown away by that because they did such a great job and they gave authentic Daredevil feel. I felt in this series. I mean, I don't know who else has actually seen the show here besides me and Jeff. You have Arch, okay? You have. I, I have certainly seen it as well. Okay, okay. So, what are you guys' takes, just briefly, on the Daredevil season one? Uh, what you know? What did you like? What didn't you like? Or was there anything that you thought was really great that stood out? Uh, go ahead and start with uh, Arch. Yeah, I just thought they did a, a fantastic job presenting. Like, um, I, I don't know, sort of uh, realistic isn't like kind of the right word, but just this like I, I don't know, visceral sort of like take on this. It, they, they hit like the noir tones like like really well. Like it, I don't know. It just it just it just drew you in. It had this. I, I hate using the word gritty because it sounds cliche, but it, like it just had this like intensity to it that just felt really, really, really good. Uh, really dirty. I love the fact that like the entire series, he's. Uh, you know he's he's getting wounded. He starts off with just you know without much armor. He eventually like has to kind of uh, acquire that towards the end. But like he's 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 getting he's getting his ass beat like the entire time. That hallway fight tracking shot. I love the the I love that the staging of a lot of these scenes is fantastic. Like the the way they they shot that tracking shot and had all the choreography, the cameras moving up and down the hall, just just really brilliant stuff. And a lot of a lot of scenes in the entire show feel that way as well. Like. Uh, the, the dynamic in the uh, with the office crew, the dynamic with Claire, uh, a lot of great character work. And Vincent D'Onofrio was just amazing. Like he he plays this character like like a a like a beaten dog who's had enough of his of his life. I can't remember exactly when they get into his backstory. I don't I don't remember right now if that's at the end of season one or somewhere. Oh, it can't be in season two. It's got to be towards the end of season one then. But. It, they they get into his backstory and you realize he's got this this shy awkwardness about him, but he's ruthless on top of it all, which which overrides everything. I don't know. I just really loved all the character work. I loved all the action scenes. I loved the way they filmed it, the staging, the settings, the brutality of it, the 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 darkness, the visceral nature of it. The whole thing was great. Well, excuse me there, Arch. I apologize for a minute there. I thought Cyber was there, but he obviously isn't. <laughs> Uh, Lord Deathman, um, and Mark, if you want to come in after Lord Deathman, just give me um, your basic take on Daredevil season one, and we'll save your thoughts for season two for for another episode. Yeah, um, season one without being hyperbolic, I, I want to put that out there first. Um, when people talk about this great renaissance that's going on in TV and how you're getting so much content and how it is of such a high caliber in a lot of instances, I think season one of Daredevil is probably the epitome of, of those high marks that you have as far as television goes. It, it really was that good. Uh, really a faithful adaptation 
uh, you know, spiritually, literally, wh whatever ways you have to sort of measure the bar of a panel to television execution. Everyone does their best work in terms of acting and performances. They're unimpeachable. Um, the action, the setup. I, um, I got torn apart and roasted a few years back on a forum for saying that I put this, that season one of Daredevil, above the Nolan Batman films. In, in terms of um, their execution and story-wise, they were just more gritty. Wow. They, that's, they, a major, yeah, yeah, I know, that's a major I know. freaking um, throwdown right there, Lord. I was, I, was, I was cruising for it, and you better believe I got it. I, I got buried. But, you know, over the years, I, I kind of stand by it because, you know, what, now that I'm past the fanboying and the wowing of, and the newness of it, uh, you know, revisiting it, I've watched season one of Daredevil. Uh, I've watched all the seasons um, three times, you know, I've run through the whole show. Uh, there, there's just really something. It, it is exceptional work and and the bloodiness of it. And as as Arch was saying, the grittiness of it, the, the, the entire it's a, such an atmospheric piece. It's the best Batman story that that you kind of didn't get. Um, and, and it made me, I was already a fan of Daredevil from the comic books, but this just kind of, that the show just cemented why he's been such a character with this kind of incredible. That man, were we missing something like that? An element like that in the MCU up until Daredevil? I think we were, I think we, you know, on a certain level, Netflix filled that, what I will call the Marvel Knights gap, uh, because when you're doing things, you know, for the theaters and for, you know, the, the average audience who's not so steeped in the, in the comic books, who, who hasn't been watching this stuff for 30 years or reading it, um, they have to be very broad. And, and there's 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 a limit to um, what they can do with villainy, violence, adult situations. You know, and I'm not one of those people that says that comic book movies have to be super moody and dark on the Zack Snyder spectrum in order to be relevant. Um, no, you can certainly have a lighthearted comic book movie. But the thing about the MCU is that they brought all styles and genres to bear down on this. And, and Daredevil certainly filled an appetite that I didn't know I had until I was watching it. I was like, wow, this is brutal grounded hand-to-hand -hand combat with a with a fighter who is just so exceptional you know it's like you think about you, you know you have those nerd battles where who's the best fighter in the mcu is it is it wolverine or is it so and so iron fist but you, you know stylistically it, it's daredevil and, yeah. and it's really about his style in terms of being a fighter naturally gifted as stick would say uh, so really, I have nothing but high marks for it. And I really do hope that they bring that incarnation of Daredevil to just try to bring him into the MCU at some point, really just fold it rather than recasting or trying to reimagine the character. They did it right the first time. Well, you're not done. I mean, you, we're, I'll be more than happy to let you jump in in just a second. But uh, Mark, <laughs> if you want to jump in and then Arch, if you want to come in after Mark. We reviewed this when it uh, came out uh, a few years ago. I had a guy do it in like four parts, a couple of episodes each, each one. So it's been a long time since I've actually sat through it and seen it. But I remember the conversations amongst my fellow podcasters and friends and reviewers really focusing on two key, three key elements of the show. One, a lot, much like we were saying about the Hulk, um, they really took a lot of the themes and elements and in some cases shot by shot. Uh, images from the comic book and put made them a part of the show which i think it's part of why it's so beloved two um 
just coming from the world of mixed martial arts, um, a lot of my guys that I interact with are, you know, big martial arts people themselves, and they all love the hallway fight. Like, yeah. it's apparently it's like the one of the greatest fight scenes in like the history of cinema. Um, and very few, many have tried, few have attained what they could attain in that well, one scene. Mark, Even Marvel's having, tried to repeat that. thrown down with some dudes in my life, I can tell you right mm-hmm. now, I cannot even imagine still being able to like be standing after <laughs> fighting that many freaking people. Yeah. Um, I mean, I personally like the elevator sequence and the defenders, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, all, all, all the fight guys that I know that study this stuff and our martial artists themselves love the fight, the hallway fight. Um, the thing that I keyed in on and, and was rel- the consensus among people I knew was that this wasn't so much the Daredevil show as it was the Kingpin show. Vincent D'Onofrio, who is an excellent actor, just amazing. It, it, just, it sort of kills me that he's gone from like Gomer Pyle and Full Metal Jacket to fucking Kingpin. But he did because he's amazing. Um, he's one of the best actors out there. And the show, I think in equal parts and maybe in some cases more so Kingpin than Daredevil, focused on that character. And you never once lose sight of the fact that he's the villain, but without making him like, it's not a Maleficent type deal, you know, or Cruella where you're made to sympathize with someone who's clearly a villain and clearly doing bad things, but you at least his story is interesting. Um, The story you get from uh, episode one to the final episode of Daredevil season one you're you're with him for that ride and while you there's there's definitely a larger part of i think most people that want to see daredevil beat the kingpin you're kind of with the kingpin for a lot of things you at least see his point of view you see why he's doing the things that he's doing and where he's coming from and i think if you're you know a rational person you're like okay but you still need to go but at least it's an interesting um it's an interesting and well-told story with a lot of depth to it um Hollywood doesn't really handle, especially nowadays, uh, villains real well. This one, they knocked it out of the park. Well, the dichotomy of that flipped coin where Daredevil and Wilson Fisk are on that coin on both sides, and they're almost interchangeable in a way. Like, they're, they're, they're different, there's a contrast, but yet they have similar... You know, there, there's similarities there. You know what I mean? And for me... What really, uh, what what I really find myself uh, uh, geared towards when with season one is that relationship of the contrast of Fisk versus Matt Murdock. But Arch, go ahead, man, jump in. And no, Mark's totally right. In in many ways, it it is the uh, the kingpin, the Vincent D'Onofrio show. It, it's obviously like a lot the Matt Murdock show. But I want to throw out somebody else here, and I think this. This shows how much character is actually in this. And, and, and this is uh, Karen Page. Uh, she's in many ways an audience cipher here. You, you, you lead in with her as, as having this, had this traumatic moment, which instills her with a ton of fear. She doesn't, you feel that fear of her, and then you feel her nobility slowly start to come out where, where she feels like she has to do the right thing. She, she has to lead this charge for good, um, and 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 she she ultimately joins Matt in in their law practice to try to figure this out. But you really feel her character get really well rounded. She takes on that job at the newspaper, and and she's really trying to fight the good fight. And uh, 
Uh, it, it to me, it's as much as her show as anybody's. But I think that that just shows how much good character there is because Matt's obviously a central figure. Vincent D'Onofrio is obviously a very central figure, and they're they're all just like so strong in everything they do. I think it's great. It's a they very are. layered show, and she she does stand out without question. I I'll never forget about her from True Blood because she re- she really stood out to me in True Blood because of all her nudity and everything. I really enjoyed it. You know, like it was very positive for me. Hey, speaking of that, hey, Arch, I got a question for you. What you got? I, I just want to know if you agree with me. This is something that we all picked up on when we reviewed, especially season two. Is there any hotter sexual chemistry in recent years of television than Karen Page and uh, what's his face uh, from The Punisher? Holy cow, those two together. John Bernthal? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to spoil too much for Jeff because I don't think he's gotten into that, but Karen plays a solid role in multiple different series. Oh, I know there was like a three-way love triangle <laughs> deal going on oh, there. Oh, like, it's still three-way. She's madly in love with the Punisher. Yeah, it's so yeah, she she has she has a thing going on with the Punisher, but you sh- you should watch that. I don't want to spoil too much. Hey, if you ever read the Punisher comic books, the Punisher was always nailing chicks left and right. That was his deal. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, like it's, it's not shown on screen, but I but in my head canon, Karen Page was sending him like hearts. She's like doodling in her book. You know, I okay, I'm glad Archer's with me on this. But that's the that's the Absolutely. that's the reality of the Daredevil show is that it has that kind of growth and that kind of like intrinsicy, uh, excuse me, in, intrinsicness where there's there's so much depth to the show that you can pick it apart and find certain relationships and collaborations and certain characters stand out. When, when I watch uh, Agents of Shield, I don't get that vibe. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no there, there doesn't have that maturity to it. The, the you know the acting that isn't to that level and i feel like um daredevil is just very well done i mean i have all the names written down already of who the director is and you know who did the choreography and everything and whatnot it's all there i'm i'm saving it for my daredevil season one review but the fight choreography is just ridiculous like seriously it's ridiculous the hand-to-hand combat in daredevil is beyond anything in the MCU. I'm sorry, but even like, I I love Captain America. He's my favorite superhero in the MCU, but the daredevil hand-to-hand combat is beyond Captain America. It's pretty good. What do you you think, Lord Deathman? Combat combat wise, hand-to-hand wise, how do you rank daredevil? Oh man, you're you're making me sweat. You can't see a, a grown skeletal figure sweating. But you're putting me on the spot there. <laughs> um, you know, I, I do have to give props to the work they did in Captain America, the Winter Soldier with Bucky and and Steve going at it. That was, you know, very dance-like choreography that, that had a sort of call and response rhythm to it. But that battle, you know, that street battle between them is like my all-time favorite piece of choreography. Uh, the, the, the movement design, the way the character emotes for the Winter Soldier for choreography, that gets super high marks for me, not to mention Nat's assault on the Winter Soldier with, with her leg tosses yep. and trying to, to garret him. That stuff is but really leaving, high up on my wanting list. to leave. That was one of the, the really great points I loved about, about her arc in that film is that you never saw Nat back away from anybody but the Winter Soldier, Lord right. Deathman. She was trying to leave and get the fuck away from him. It, it, or, or she makes these quick assaults and then hides. Right. Because she knows she's up against a devastating opponent. But 
I will give you this. The, the fight choreography in Daredevil probably outclasses the vast majority of fight choreography that you might see in an MCU film. Not to take anything away from what they do in those films when they put together a good fight sequence, but um, Daredevil was surely on another level. And I know we've given a lot of praise to uh, the, the Punisher and Karen Page and the Kingpin, all beautifully realized in the series and well acted by those actors. But another actor who doesn't really get a lot of uh, recognition for his work in the first season of Daredevil is Vondi Curtis Hall, uh, playing the Sam Altrich character. Um, I'm mispronouncing his last name. But he he kind of comes in as this moral authority that that where, where people are on the fence about doing something about the, this sort of omnipresent criminal of the kingpin who seems to have his fingers in everything and and there's no way to sort of you know sidestep his machinations that character comes in ben as this morally authoritative saying you know what do you stand for here at this moment you know it, it is time for you to decide it's time to take a stand and if that means losing your life then, you know, that that is what it's going to take. I really loved his work in the series and w- would love to see him return along with the rest of the cast in, in the mainline MCU. Mark, what did you think of the uh, the Japan, the elderly Japanese woman that was like the head of the Yakuza or whatever or she was like in season one? I, f- I felt like those scenes with her and Wilson Fisk were like transcendent. I'm going to be honest, Jeff, I barely remember it. I remember the the hand being the villains in, I think, season one. Uh, they're somewhat connected to Elektra in season two, and they're the main bads and the defenders. Yeah. Um, other than that, like I said, the thing, all these years later, and excuse me, I haven't seen it again in many years, um, the things that I remember are mostly the stuff with the kingpin. Gotcha. So, and, and, I'll, and I'll agree with you right there. I'm really, really, really stoked that I heard that Vincent D'Onofrio is going to be in the Hawkeye series. Oh, Apparently, yes, I've he- I've heard that the rumors that he's going to be in the Hawkeye series. He's confirmed it on Twitter that he's going to be in the Hawkeye series, and at that point, that would make Daredevil canon in the MCU, which would be great. I've heard um, a similar thing regarding Daredevil in um, Spider-Man. So, look until uh, I, I listen to your guys' podcast. Very nice podcast, by the way. I've, I've listened to a bunch of episodes, um, like Captain America and Captain Marvel and whatnot, Black Widow. Um, and I know you guys like to get into like the speculative stuff. I, I until I see it for myself, having been burned by Wandavision already. Um, <laughs> you can listen to my own podcast where I went on a rant about that. Like I'll, I'll believe it when I see it when these people start showing up. At this point, and I know he's listed in the Wikipedia. I'm not convinced Mark Ruffalo showing up for She Hulk. Like I'm thinking, like cardboard cutout or you know CGI or some shit. But um, when I I'll see I'll believe it when I see it. I'm pretty hesitant myself. I won't lie mm-hmm. to you. At this point, I'm starting to get a little bit leery about being too excited about yeah. certain aspects. But um, honestly, I really really hope that somebody at Marvel Studios sees things how we see them in terms of. Playing Vincent D'Onofrio played the kingpin so well. Arch, yeah, I mean, I mean, even if the even if the Netflix Daredevil stuff isn't canon, 
and it's alternate universe stuff. Who gives a shit? Just recap. Just just bring in Vincent D'Onofrio as, as as the kingpin and started from wherever. I mean, they, I this whole idea of having to somehow make sense of multiple studios, films, television shows. I, I don't care. Put Vincent D'Onofrio in the Marvel Universe as Kingpin, and I don't give a shit what they did on Netflix. I'm Arch, sorry, do you like D'Onofrio as Kingpin? Yeah, he's absolutely brilliant. He he plays it with this subtlety, uh, and, and you really get the sense of, of this character that was that has the backstory that his character ultimately has, which is which is fantastic. He's not he's not just a, a a driving force purely. He's got this like insecurity like underneath it, which he, which you see in his acting. I think it's great. Um, a, a couple things. I mean, I I'm I'm a I'm a big proponent of of carrying on this because uh, as Deathman uh, mentioned earlier. They've got a great start with all these characters. They've got a great start with Daredevil. They've got a great start with Kingpin. They've got a great start with Luke Cage and, and is Jessica Jones if they ever want to use her or something like that. There's no real reason to start over with any of this stuff. They could bring them in, and it, if, if for some contractual reason they can't necessarily mention specifically what happened, it doesn't matter. Like You've already got the idea of this groundwork and do whatever they want with them. It's been several years. They can go wherever they want with these guys. Now, conversely... I never really, for a second, and Deathman knows this, bought that they're ever going to do a Fox vs. crossover <laughs> with Quicksilver. And we can go into that on a different topic, but I never thought that that was... That I didn't think they were doing that at all. Uh, I didn't that's, either. That's a totally different thing. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I think that they could they can continue this. Now, I will totally agree with Mark that I'm not buying any of this until I see it. I've heard way too many rumors to ever take any of this stuff at face value until I've seen it. There's rumors all over the place about No Way Home, and I I, I will wait until I see that, until I, I buy any of that stuff, or even remotely get excited for it. If they if it shows up on film, great. If it doesn't, I don't care. Like, so whatever. The, uh, the one thing I will say, and I don't know if we're going to get into this about season two, though, do the interaction and the debate and the, philo the, the philosophy going on between Punisher and Daredevil is just worth it oh my god that, 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 that rooftop so i'm sorry that rooftop Ooh. scene straight out of i think it's guardian angel or guardian okay. devil whatever the name of the book was called just whatever the the punisher daredevil interaction on the rooftop straight out of the comic books wow perfect it's so good you gotta yeah. watch season two just for that it's it's yeah. yeah some of the best stuff you've ever seen it's great and that's one thing that i can really like find a reason to connect to the comic books right now is that there was a real relationship in the comic books, Lord Deathman, with the Punisher and Daredevil. There was. Yeah. Just like there was with Spider-Man and Punisher. I mean, let's be honest here. The Punisher had a relationship with most people out there. Ghost Rider, Wolverine. I mean, you know, I could go through the comic books. You know, believe me, as a kid, I loved the hell out of them. But um, Lord Deathman, what do you what what are your thoughts on Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin? Yeah, you don't get much better than that in the world of acting in general. And I think um, this this was a rare confluence of a great performer and perhaps even better written material. So he had such a beautiful canvas to play with in terms of the story beats, but he also manages to craft this character that, you know, without, you know, sort of getting up my own ass about it, it's, it's really... Um, it's really this 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 character study in sociopathy that I think is really missing in the MCU. And 
I just want to kind of like in the MCU, when you're talking about villainy, you really have to make it about, oh, I'm not really a, like an evil dude. I just have like a different perspective than you. And we're just going to have a fight about it for 90 minutes. And that's cool. Right. Because you're trying not to expose a, a like a preteen or, or a young kid to the idea of there are people who are just sociopathic. There are people who are psychopathic and are prone to violence, narcissism. Those are characteristics that don't really mesh well in the Disney world. Although I will say with Black Widow, you, you get, you know, pretty close with their vi villain who's who's a fairly deep misogynist. You know, whatever, you know, putting aside the political ar arguments about his attitude towards women, th that's um that's an arbitrary hatred of a particular group or gender. And and and, and there is some sociopathicness in that. But the Kingpin is um the pinnacle of that. He, he is such a malignant narcissist and, and so unable to, to, to sort of empathize with anyone other than his own perspective, his own pain, his own well, hurt. He, has, he obviously has mental health issues with uh, uh, anxiety. The, the OCD? And, yes, the OCD, yes. The, the social, the, 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 he, he has problems with social situations. Do you guys remember Philip Seymour Hoffman from the Mission Impossible movie that he was in yes. where he was the villain? Yes. Kind of nods to that type of character, don't you think? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very good comparison there. But um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. there's Very a lot of... No, I'm sorry, Lord Deathman. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say there's been a lot of praise thrown around for Vincent D'Onofrio's portrayal of the Kingpin, and it's rightly deserved. He he really doesn't miss a beat in terms of that particular character. He's always on, never phones it in, created a great character. And and I know like folks like Arch here are they're like, oh, you know, we need to bring that. Let's bring that right into the MCU. <laughs> let's put that in a movie or something like that. The thing is, though the mood and the attitude, right, of the Daredevil series in terms of the blood, the gore, the violence, um, you know, the overt mentioning of sex trafficking. Is Disney going to be able to reconcile all that? Because I don't want to see Vincent D'Onofrio or, or uh, Charlie Cox or any of those actors transition over to the MCU and then we get neutered versions of those characters that are meant to fit more in the broad more you, you know lighter tone that that's more balanced and, and you take away if if that's what you have to do to get it done then they can be separate worlds and i'll just keep watching daredevil no <laughs> you, you know on netflix i would say with falcon and winter soldier they did a fairly decent job of hitting very important um i mean i was not totally in depth don't let's not go crazy but i was comparing well, falcon winter soldier. Tone. we're talking about a, a level of violence and and blood and, and brutality Okay I, okay, I thought we were talking about like themes or whatever, because what I was going to say is I was comparing like Falcon and Winter Soldier to like The Wire and Watchmen and, you know, that, de that dealt with um, serious racial issues. And they did it in their own Marvel way, but I didn't necessarily get a sense that Disney was interfering. Marvel's, Marvel sort of points at from about 50 yards away at a lot of social issues. Um, that other shows get up close and personal. No, with. no. What Lord, what Lord mm -hmm. Deathman and myself are, are pointing out is the graphic novel aspect, the Frank Miller Daredevil of the late 80s, early 90s aspect of the Daredevil comic book where you're bringing in characters and like you're going in directions where things are like very 
dirty and grimy and bloody and yeah. like there's more the, the question the question for kevin would be are you, man gets his head slammed repeatedly by a car door till it explodes kevin are you ready to go there <laughs> right yeah. that, that that's the point blank that's the question because valid, but what at any point were they ever going to go there in the 10 years they've been doing this I, I, i'm i'm a little just and you, you can keep going definitely but I, i'm a little i don't know if uh, mark would feel like it's fair to say like i'm i'm heading on his side here and he may disagree with this in just a second but um i i don't I, i'm i'm okay with these things looking at them as he said from like 50 yards away like if you if you can get to a topic but you don't want to get too you know up close with it I'm okay with that. Like as long as they have an interesting narrative built in and they've, you know, they've broached the subject, that's fine. I don't need graphic stuff. I, I've even said I'm okay with like PG-13 Punisher. And I do. I need graphic shit. I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm okay with them getting there. I mean, we just we were talking about the Hulk film all day, and they've got some pretty brutal kills in there when you start thinking about what happened with some of these dudes. And you're right Arch, about that, Life is graphic, bro. You ever watched yeah. somebody get the fucking shit beat out of them before? Yeah, like, it's no, not no, good, no. man. I get it, but I don't think that's what makes a film better or worse or anything like that. I don't. It doesn't matter. Like I can take it. I don't mind it. Like being in there, but I, in fact, I enjoy it being in there. But, it, but I don't but, need that. It doesn't matter. I can. It's whatever. I can take it or leave it as long as the I, and and you know what? I, I want to. I just. I want to derail this for a second because it's not just. I think Jeff and I are the are the kind of violence junkies here. Yeah. But it's not just about the violence. It, it's it's really about it's the, the story of, that's flushed out of the violence they're not at 50,000 yards on Netflix there. You're, you're at 50 yards there and, and they're bringing you closer to a darker tone and not just for the sake of it being darker, but because it lends itself to the character of daredevil. And again, you know, if, if you took daredevil and kind of tried to marry him in the world of Spider-Man, let's just take that as a use case example and not try to go with specifics like violence or, darkness of themes prostitution drug use whatever it is you have but are, are you going to be able to tell a story where tom holland spider-man going through his sort of adolescent high school you know that type of situation and and daredevil stuff where where he's trying to break up a child uh you know sex trafficking ring like like hey, my mind boggles in terms of how the Bronx to is those. not hell's kitchen okay so <laughs> counterpoint and I think it's I think it's a, a good discussion that we're having here. And I'm with you, you know, in that if you read a Marvel Knights type thing, um, you know, you read Welcome Back Frank, which we which we did yeah. a couple of years ago. Like you want to see that in the most vivid, uh, most accurate way possible on screen. I hear you. Please remember, this is also the company that shoves Squirrel Girl into everything. So <laughs> this is there. I mean, I'm just saying there, there, there's a lot of different shades here they can go with. I, I think there's a, and, and let's all keep in mind. And I, and I don't think any of you guys have forgotten this, but I'll be the one to bring it up that Marvel does appeal to the broad, especially with Disney, the broadest base consumer uh, viewing audience there is. I mean, we're talking yeah. billions of people across the world, many of which, are not discussing film the way we're discussing it tonight. Um, you know, and, and it's very much casual, passive viewing. So I think that, you, you know, if you're, if you're uh, developing a daredevil show or character for the Marvel cinematic universe, there's, you know, you, you do have to reconcile what is this character in the comics that, you know, what does he mean to the fans with 
okay, but now how can we reshape that so that it fits into what we've already been doing for 10 years that's worked and made billions and trillions of dollars? I think it's possible. And look, and is it going to make everybody happy? No. But I know people who have hated everything, every single thing Marvel has done for the last five yeah. years. They haven't liked a movie since The Winter Soldier. Yeah. I have I, at least two people I know that are willing to set the Marvel Studios on fire because of Ragnarok. Mark, how do they do it? How do they transcend and facilitate this darker graphic type aspect? The Punisher, Ghost Rider, these these, these characters are coming. How do sure. they how do they make that leap? I, I think you said it before, Jeff. It's the story. Um, I think if you the actors are all capable, especially if they bring over like John Bernthal and Vincent D'Onofrio and, and Charlie Cox. Um, obviously they can handle the job. Um, and so then at that point, it's just telling a, a telling a story that that um, sticks the landing, which Marvel has a difficult time with WandaVision. Um, you know, <laughs> it's just uh, the, if they could tell a, a well-told story that's engaging and sticks the landing, I think people then can forgive them that it isn't, you know, Punisher War Journal. Mark, I think you are onto something, and that was incredibly eloquently stated. You're, you're absolutely right. And it really isn't our job to break the story right here on this podcast. That, that's for you know people who get paid professionally to do this and, and, and sort of make tons and tons of money. Uh, I think the, the substance of what Mark is saying is right. It can be reconciled, right? But I, I, I just wanted to go out on record in that the fans are very vocal about, you know, let's find a way to mesh these worlds together. I want my daredevil. You know, it's like I want my peanut butter and I want that to go with my jelly. That, that's Spider-Man and that's daredevil. And, it, and, it, and they all have to be on screen and I want to knock the action figures together. But I, I do think that there are some tonal differences with if I see daredevil by the light of day, that's an instant failing grade. <laughs> right. Like if he ever is seen by daylight fail <laughs> it, it has to be by night like that that's how daredevil stories happen uh you know i'm half joking with that but um you, you know while while fans have pushed for it i don't think that there's been the critical thinking that would go into oh this is a very different tone than what they do in these movies wonder how that would work together people are like yeah just do it um, <laughs> right and, and i totally get that sort of you know let's make it happen sort of attitude that that instant gratification but i would hate for them to do it just for the sake of doing it it, it would really i want them to be selective about the elements they bring from netflix and, and put into the mcu and i want it to be you know a part of marvel's growing sophistication i think the last couple of releases have reflected that marvel is willing to go to darker places that they're slowly building up to that so-called level of adult sophistication that DC is. I think that's an important point to make. I feel like, honestly, Lord Deathman, I think the Black Widow film was actually yeah. that first step across that line it, yeah. to set up. The People don't realize how significant that film was in terms of yes. them yeah. moving into sophistication, but without, you know, making it gratuitous. Um, as I, you know, see some of the I DC felt an emotional things. attachment in Black Widow where I actually in my own head thought about my own children and like what it would be like to subject them to the Red Room. You she know, like blew that, up a kid. I, I felt that for a minute and it wasn't good. I didn't like it. But no, Arch. No, Arch. Honestly, what my point is, is just this. Do you think that 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 Disney 
Marvel Studios needs to go in a different direction where maybe they pick up Hulu or something and use them as as a as an outlet in order to be able to put these shows like Daredevil back on or The Punisher back on because let's be honest here Disney's not going to deal not going to do The Punisher justice on oh, Disney Plus they're not going to have Punisher doing some of the things that you haven't seen Punisher one yet, but he does some, he does some things like, so, uh, I mean, they're not going to have him do that clearly on Disney. So that man knows he, how to hold a gun. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> seriously, ooh, man, uh, the, so it, it gets, it gets a little, it gets, it gets graphic. the, um, they're not going to do that. So maybe if they want to run a Punisher show or they're going to have something similar with, uh, I don't know, Ghost Rider or something that maybe they shift that over to a thing like, uh, uh, Hulu, but I don't know, man. I, I mean, I think there's also a way to shoot some of these if you've got Daredevil crossing over to a Spider-Man film that you can do this, maintain a tone, but you don't have to do it in a way that's like super graphic, but you still get to the same place just without it, you know, crossing that 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 certain line. Like you guys were talking about Black Widow, that that touched on some pretty deep issues yeah. without getting, you know you know, getting to, you know, people getting their face shot off and stuff like that. So I, I think there's a way to do that. I, I take it as a creative stylistic uh, mission or challenge to be able to get it, you know, to fit in. But the, MCU, the MCU dominates the film industry right now. They're setting the precedence. Well, to your point, Jeff, and I, and I think the answer to this question is a simply no, they're, they're just not going to. And here's why I say that. You got to remember, um, up until a few years ago, there was Marvel Motion Picture Studios and then there was Marvel Television. And they were brother and sister, but they were not the same thing. And Marvel Television Studios handled things wildly differently than the Motion Picture Studio. The Motion Picture Studio has a consistent tone from Iron Man to Endgame there is a tone and it's the same tone in every movie. The aesthetic changes, the themes change, but the tone is the exact same in 20 movies. Um, the television was all over the place and they mothballed the television, it's gone. So everything now is Marvel Studios. So whether it's WandaVision on Disney Plus or Black Widow in the theaters, it's still all Marvel motion picture studios with the same tone, which means you're not gonna get Let's do a Runaways on Hulu here and a Hellstrom on Hulu there and a Daredevil on Netflix. You're going to get Marvel Motion Picture Studios and some of them will be on Disney Plus and some of them will be in theaters, but they're all the same brother. And there's another big reason that, that I agree with. I totally agree with you on this. There's another big reason they're not going to do this is that if you so if you start doing something that like 13 year olds can't watch or something like that, then you're cutting out a corner of the entire project that suddenly part of your audience can't watch. But Lord That's Deathman, what, ha what, what happens at that point to the actual tangible reality of the comic book character? Right. That we're like dealing with? What we, um, you know, uh, and I think about how good I, I, I really enjoyed Punisher season one and two. I enjoyed the hell out of, of daredevil season one and two. I think it's classic television S season three, a slight notch below, but still fantastic. Um, you know, Frank Castle says, you know, that there's there's in, in like season two, there's uh, the, the girl character who's like, you know, I'm kind of worried about you going out there like killing people and then, you, and then you, you might die. And Frank is like, you know, honey, 
I'm not the one who does the dying. You know, I do the killing. And I, and I was like, wow, C- could I see him saying that in a Disney movie on the big screen? I'm the one who does the killing. But, um, you know, going back to the, to the, to the sort of thought experiment that, that we're, we're talking about here, um, I, I think the solution to this problem is, and I've talked about this on message boards, and, and I'm, I'm, I, I feel like this is what Kevin and, and company needs to do. There needs to be a Marvel imprints, a, a Marvel Knights imprint of the overall Marvel brand, because darkness and adult themes and seriousness are part and parcel of characters like Daredevil and Punisher and Black Widow. You know, there's a couple of characters that fall into that space where you would want more latitude to tell a story that might be aimed at an audience that's higher. Those are characters that were, well, with the exception of Daredevil I and maybe Black Widow, but Frank Castle was kind of designed with those adult themes baked into it. The idea that he is someone who murders people. You know, whether you think he's a, a serial killer or a superhero is, is kind of up to debate, depending on the writer and the creative direction. But I really think the way to reconcile all of this is not to reconcile all of it, but to create clear delineations where a certain kind of Marvel storytelling can happen somewhere on Hulu uh, that, that is a, a bit more darker toned, but still connected to the overall universe. I don't think it would, you know, stand as as a contradiction to something that you might go to the theaters and see. Let me posit this as a canary in the coal mine. Let's see how Moon Knight goes. I think Moon Knight will will be the telltale of what they're planning to do with these things, how integrated these characters are going to be, what the tone is going to be and all of that. If Moon Knight is comic authentic, then I think you'll have your answer. I think See, now I disagree a- with you, Mark. I think Miss Marvel will be a better telltale than Moon Knight. <laughs> that's a hot take jeff (laughs) i can't tell if you're being sarcastic um so no um if yeah moon knight's comic authentic then i think um then they're not afraid to get a little you know a little dirty little gritty with uh your marvel knights characters if moon knight is you know (laughs) the equivalent of like um oh gosh i'm thinking like the, the ben stiller movie anger management that was Adam Sandler, you know, <laughs> something, something that really just, really just does not understand mental health and is awful and makes a comedy out of everything. But then, you know, then this is, they're not going to treat these characters seriously and get used to it or don't watch. I just don't want to see these characters compromised because I, I, I don't like to play the, I'm an old school comic book, Marvel comic book fan, but at the end of the day, I am. Yeah, and, you know what? Let let's Jeff, let's proudly play that card. Never back. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, listen. Card. Some you of the read best, those floppies, you know what's going on. Some of the best comic book runs were <sighs> for me, best stories were when the Punisher would tangle up with like the X-Men and Ghost Rider, and like they would go dark and like they'd be killing people too. You know what I mean? Like, that's where things would go in the comics with Marvel at times, like the, the whole story would go dark. Like they weren't afraid to do that back in the nineties and the late eighties and the Marvel comics. Oh God. And, the nineties, the pocket decade. Yeah. Well, oh, Hey, <laughs> I just don't want to see these characters get compromised. And I don't want to try to like act like I'm going to have a freaking like cardiac arrest over it or something. Cause I'm not, it is what it is. I'm, I'm going to sleep whatever either way. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I still like 
want Vincent D'Onofrio in the MCU because he's freaking badass as the kingpin. And I'm really glad that Charlie Cox is in the MCU. I don't care whether they've confirmed it or not. I'd love to hear the the the, the actual details of his uh, contract, but I what they're going to do with him. But I'm glad they're going to they're going to have him. Um, Jeff, guys, no, Lord Deathman, hold on. Let me just real quick just scale things down and do a little bit of an exit because we're at the three hour mark and <laughs> we're getting into podcast territory to where I wouldn't even be able to chop this up and be able to make anything out of it. To like, you got four like, shows uh, out of this. no but listen everybody out there we love all of you we uh we we enjoy all of you whether or not you're a old school comic books fan or you're a dcu fan or you're a new mcu fan who just started with wandavision you're you're all good with us and uh arch thank you so much for being a a a regular special guest on the mcu's bleeding edge mark i really appreciate you coming on it was really great to actually have a chance to uh, get you on the MCU's, MCU's Bleeding Edge. We're we're happy to have you. Hopefully, you'll you'll grace us again and come back. Um, Lord Deathman, you already know it, brother. You're my brother <laughs> from another mother. So I mean, come on, man. You're thank you, Jeff. You know your spot's warm. I mean, as always, it's you're in the hell dimension anyway. But um, you're anyway, too kind, my friend. No, hey, you know I try, brother. I try. I'm still thinking about Jennifer Conley. And that scene from uh, <laughs> from the, uh, the you know with the with the uh, the other chick, uh, I'm not going to go there. Um, Elaborate anyway. No. Anyways, guys, listen. So this is Jeff from Cybernetic Shark. We are out of here. MCU's bleeding edge. Peace. Yes, it takes like three seconds.